Hey guys, welcome to Profession Confession. I'm your host, Gabe Noah. With me is the chocolate unicorn, Tevin Pittman. Hello. And uh, this week's episode uh, is a, a personal favorite, I think, of both of ours. Uh, mm-hmm. We fell in love. Uh, Kathleen is a was a pilot first and foremost, and a very accomplished one. And it's interesting because it's not that long ago, but it's she was like became a commercial pilot ten years after the first female commercial pilot. But uh, no, Kathleen was training people at age nineteen. She, you know, before the internet era, went to go be a bush pilot um, in the Caribbean. Like, I mean, just really interesting <laughs> bush pilot. We made a yeah, never mind. And uh, and she is a uh, flight crash analyst. Uh, she's been a talking head on Fox News and stuff like that. So we had just a great conversation with her. Really informational. Had a blast. We intend to have her back. And yeah, uh, check out our Patreon. More episodes up, right, Tevin? Uh, no, we don't have more episodes up, but we're going to be putting more up. A lot of artwork of our first early sketches for um, our logo, as well as just general animation. Um, we're going to keep putting more stuff up. What episode's coming up? Are we going to put one up that we have picked? I don't know. We just kind of pick them at random. Yeah, yeah. There. Um, but yeah, keep checking that out. We've got, uh, what else? You get We've a got t-shirt some live when you Mevo. sign up. We've got some live Mevo stuff, uh, film coming that we're going to do, whether it's production meetings or just bonus video episodes. We're going to start, uh, but yeah, if you sign up for any of the levels, we'll send you a t-shirt. So you donate to the Patreon, the monthly subscription tab, and we'll send you out a t-shirt. Nicole Olson, she's got her t-shirt. You can check out, uh, our Instagram at ProConPod. You'll see a picture of her rocking the T-shirt. We're also, uh, you want to do a podcast? Want to just come sit in the chair that Carmelicious rests his, all his uh, round parts on? Come on in. We're renting the studio, um, NBC Studios. That's uh, Minnesota Broadcast Conglomerate um, Studios. So come on in and check us out. You'll meet Tor. Gigantic. Um, all right. Uh, and we like to do a shout-out. To our friend Joey at Hangover Candle Company. They are candles that he makes when he has a hangover. Yeah, we're big fans. I hope you enjoy the podcast and uh, enjoy. And as always, the podcast is brought to you by McDonald's Family Restaurant. McDonald's, America's number one Irish restaurant. There's no potato famine here. No, our fries are ready to go. And our burgers... They have tiny onions on them, just like they do in Belfast. And slathered in catsup, just like Dublin. McDonald's. Aye, me matey. A taste of Ireland. Hey, guys. This is Gabe, and uh, I'd like to introduce our first sponsor, Brady Mason. He's a realtor. Have you ever even tried to buy a house before? It's impossible. Even if you do get... uh, you know, approved or if you're cool enough to get a mortgage or whatever, then you have to go through and hear all this jargon from these other realtors like a buyer, seller, mortgage. Like, what? What am I, a doctor? <laughs> Listen, I'm just trying to buy a house, guy. And that's why I'm looking for Brady Mason. If you've never bought a house before, call him. Because guess what? Brady's never sold a house before. He doesn't even have his license, but he should by the time you call him. Brady Mason. Once again, that's Brady Mason at Edina Realty. His phone number is 612-709-4333. 
or bradymason.edinarealty.com. Check them out. Do you know where this road leads? Then hear this, all ye people. Give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world, both high and low, rich and poor together. Do you indeed speak righteousness? Do you judge uprightly, all ye sons and daughters of men? And do you judge as others judge? For as you judge, you shall be judged. And if you condemn, you are condemned. Pass on. But there is no return. She's like a character in a novel. She, uh... So, airline... So, pilot, young, in the early 80s, which I did not know. Well, that was college. Yeah. Is, are female pilots... That's not a regular thing, is it? Then I'm... Like well, I, I feel like I haven't seen no like I'm the sexist one. No, and usually like whenever I've like seen a pilot, like it's always been a male. Per, like I don't think I've ever seen a meta female pilot. That's right, and uh, we're trying to change that. It was about two or three percent when I started, and then last year it was four and a half percent. But I think in the next few years, it's going to like skyrocket to like ten percent. Why so. that? Well, because there's just such a push for it for okay. the airlines to, to get Like uh, government incentives, stuff well, like that? Well, cash incentives now because there's a pilot shortage since 9-11. There's been a big pilot shortage for the first time ever. Really? Yeah. When I was a pilot, there was a big glut of pilots. So these schools and these airlines are now forming relationships where these universities will train the pilots and the airlines will give them some incentive and then they'll be able to graduate and go to a job so they can talk their parents into the... $150,000 it'll cost for the training, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. And then, so, and then as I got in your email, that when you were a pilot, you were 10 years after the first female commercial yeah. pilot? I came 10 years after the first female airline pilot was hired, like by American Airlines. And who was the first female airline pilot? Well, there know? was two, and they, they argue over who was first. Emily. Howell Warner at Frontier Airlines, she was the first flying airline equipment, mm-hmm. but Frontier wasn't a major airline, you know, like how some mm-hmm. countries not a yeah. major airline. And then Bonnie Tiberzi was the first one at um, American Airlines, the first major airline. Okay. So so there weren't a lot of girls in the cockpit back then. <laughs> and then she did, like... <laughs> There's an innuendo there somewhere. Yeah. And then she did, she went to the Caribbean to try to be like a, essentially a bush pilot, right? Like, I mean, you yeah. jump island to island yeah, kind of like bush that. Pilot. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, actually, yeah. as a female. Yeah. <laughs> Another innuendo. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling they're yeah. going to be hard to avoid for some <laughs> right. reason. Yeah, I hit it. Well, the name like bangs. Yeah. Do you, do well, you look, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. you're just three for three. There's, yeah. Do you look down on like stewardesses then, like when yeah, you're like getting you on sexually the harass when, them, like when you were getting on the plane and they're like, oh he he he, we're gonna be a stewardess, and you're like, nah, bitch, I fly this. Well, you know, it's funny you'd ask that because just maybe a year ago, I got on a flight and the flight attendant said to me that she had trained to be a pilot and she actually had her instrument rating, which is the hardest of all the kind of initial ratings to get. It's flying in the clouds, so you're mm-hmm. flying blind. And then I said, oh, well, why are you a flight attendant? Why aren't you in the front? And she goes, well, because of the schedules. And I thought to myself, the schedule is the same whether you're in the pointy end or or the back of the end. You know, I was just stupefied by 
the schedules aren't that different. Maybe and she's not the brightest and it's a good thing. I, I thought that was pilot. a strange thing. but uh, Well, no, I think when you're a pilot, you always wonder why everybody else isn't a pilot. You know, and when yeah. I started flying, I wouldn't date anybody like there wasn't a pilot because I thought they were crazy to not be a pilot. Yeah. Like I was so obsessed with flying. And my brother used to say to me, um, little aside here, my brother started the Green Mill restaurant chain. What? Yeah. Really? One of them was Jeez, like 18 um, with the other one when they started it. And uh, he used to say to me, you're never going to find a guy because all you think about is, is airplanes. So I was really obsessed mm-hmm. with it. But uh, when I think did that story? Uh, well, I think it really started when there was an old movie called Terror in the Sky, this old B movie with a guy named Doug McClure and no- Lois Nettleton. And when I was young, you only had three channels, you know, plus mm-hmm. public, you know, TPT. And after school, there'd be like the after school movie. And they used to show Terror in the Sky. And it was, the scenario was that if you ate the fish... Instead of the chicken dinner, you had violent food poisoning that was going to take over, like within minutes. Mm-hmm. And so one of the pilots has the food poisoning, and then we're seeing it take down everybody in the back, kind of one by one. And then all of a sudden, you know, da da, the other pilot, we find out, ate the fish dinner. So we know it's just a matter of minutes till there's nobody to fly the plane, and the weather's terrible, and all this stuff. So Doug McClure has to fly the plane, and I always wanted that to be me. I wanted to be in the back. And, and die in a stinking plane. <laughs> Everybody, and have them say, can anybody land this plane? And I wanted them to, I wanted, I can't, I can't. So I, I used to do that with baseball games. would be like, <laughs> you know, like, when are they going to call me into pitch? I still think that in the back of my head. Yeah. You Get the big right-hander in there. You just describe like snakes on a plane, except insert food poisoning <laughs> yeah, instead of dangerous right. snakes. That's right. So that was kind of the, uh, the interest. And then in high school, I started taking flying lessons and... Went to one of those big aviation schools, University of North Dakota, Grand Forks. Is a, oh, I'm is sorry. A, yeah. NDSU. Yeah, he's... Oh, you're an NDSU five. guy. Yeah. We used to call that the Utter School. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm leaving now. <laughs> what, what, um, so did anyone in your family fly? Like, I mean, was there some example of this? Or this no. is your own idea? And just, It was a complete you know. anomaly because most girls at the time that did get into flying had a dad that flew. Yeah. Or they had, a, had an airplane. Right. And my dad died actually my first week at kindergarten. Um, and so my mom did not want me to fly. Um, yeah. And she did not want me to fly because of the expense. Was- Oh, I'll say it wasn't like he died in like a plane crash. No, or like that. no, he just hit by a plane. Yeah, but he <laughs> he was not like a like an influence really so much on right. this. Um, but uh, yeah, so she was against it because I was I was a terrible driver in high school, and uh, <laughs> it was a time that I she pulled me out of bed, the horrible hangover one day, and uh, I thought she was coming to bring me a picture of frozen cranberry juice, which is what she'd usually bring me on Saturdays because I would be so hungover I couldn't get out of bed. I don't know what she was thinking. Get a lot of urinary tract infections. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why she thought I was so thirsty. But instead she dragged me out to the garage to show me that I'd hit the garage the night before. And I hadn't just hit the garage, but I dragged the car all the way from headlight to taillight along the side of the garage. And what she was mostly upset about is that I didn't know that I'd done it. I had yeah. no awareness I'd done it. Uh, so she was like, you know, you can't fly, that sort of thing. And uh, 
But uh, if you fly like this, we're all gonna fucking die, Kathy. Yeah. So she right. was like, you know, I said, well, I'm, I don't drink when I fly, so I think we'll be uh, we'll be okay. The hangers are a lot bigger. Yeah. What? what uh, <laughs> there's less people to hit in the sky. So how about this? Just as a sort of, um, if you're a good driver, like what oh. properties carry over? Like, like I consider myself a very good driver, and and like truly not because Every, I everybody does. I know that. Um, and I don't, it's not because I obey the traffic rules. In fact, just the opposite. I'm a maniac and I bust stoplights like a maniac, but it's because I'm in control and I know I'm a great driver. Uh-huh. What does that translate to airline stuff? Like how similar are the skill sets? Does it correlate? Well, we see that it correlates a little bit because in countries where, well, we'll just say men, because so far, you know, up until now, there haven't been a lot of female pilots. Although, like I said, that, that has changed the last 10 years, but up until like 10 years ago. We noticed um, when certain countries would send their pilots to train in the U.S., which is what they do. They send them here to do this fast track where you do all your training in like mm-hmm. a year. Um, they weren't as good as as a lot of other um, pilot groups, shall we say. And what they found is that in countries where people, for instance, never drive a car, mm-hmm. like in China, nobody had a car. So they didn't have these basic mechanical skills that we take for granted or this sort of basic grasp that you know of like momentum and space spatial kind of ability like and, yeah. and understanding about engines and a little bit that sort of thing yeah. um they never worked on a car they've never operated an engine so it does help a little bit yeah, yeah. it's like when i park and my wife's in the car she's like oh no no you're gonna hit that other car and i just swing and it goes right in there perfectly <laughs> best feeling ever. yeah oh and i do it all the time every fucking day uh but <laughs> it's uh I thought, yeah. Um, when I think of, you know, of course, everyone thinks of crash stuff. So you as a pilot for how many years? Well, I've been a pilot since I was 16. How many plane crashes have you survived? Oh, have I survived? Oh, God, dozens. No, uh, zero. Look, knock on wood. Wait. What's the closest you were ever in? I think the closest I ever came, at least in my mind, um, was because I heard the other aircraft. I was in the air. I heard the other aircraft from the aircraft I was in. That's how close it was. And that was like heart stopping. Coming is that coming out of the airport or, or into? No, we were up in the air and another airplane was in the air. What? And they were so close. So here's what it was. I'm in a little, little, little tiny Cessna giving instruction. Um this was a long, long time ago. In North Dakota, I'm probably like nineteen and I've got a student who's like eighteen because I started instructing really young. And uh, you're teaching people at 19 yeah. years old. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and he's like 18. And we're airborne and we're being followed by radar control and we're talking to them, but we're still in what they call VFR rules. And all of a sudden we hear this roar of engines. Uh, I think it was eight engines. I think that's what a B-52 has. Jesus. And that'd be fucking terrifying. it was a B-52 bomber, one of the biggest airplanes in the world at the time. And it was right under us. And my student, I just, we looked at each other like, Oh my God, what is it? We heard it. And instinctively something told me <clears throat> that it was under us. So I pulled up and then we looked and we just saw this B-52 right under us climbing up with eight engines smoking. Oh my and God. Like, my heart almost stopped. And the controller comes on right away and he asks us, um, hey, did it? He, and he, I think it was to cover himself. He goes, did a B-52 just pass 500 feet underneath <laughs> you? Oh my God. <laughs> and I said, no, it was a lot closer than that yeah but i think he saw them merging on the radar and then probably to cover himself you know 
That Cause would because he, he added that five hundred feet in there. <laughs> All right. And my student was so shaken. Um, he quit. He wouldn't fly with me. Fuck anymore. yeah! yeah. Well, I'm with you. <laughs> I, I was snorkeling. I was snorkeling in Mexico. And I, I had never really snorkeled much, and a giant sea turtle swam underneath me in the same way. And it's like, it's the exact same thing. <laughs> I lost my breath in my snorkel. I was like, just because you don't expect to see something in the water that fills your. Va- it would fucking terrify me. Yeah. Goddamn sea turtle. Hearing that sound <laughs> was like, how close are we that we can hear this yes. guy over our own engine? You know, it's just hearing the story of that. So that was. That was so. Yeah, in airline flying, I don't think I ever came as close to imminent not. death as a uh, as well, that one. I, and then, so I always want to know what a pilot's perspective is on what's dangerous too, because mm-hmm. I was flying into Mexico City. Uh, That's dangerous. Yes, <laughs> fuck it, it felt that way. <laughs> and I think they call it yaw, where you move to the side yes. like that, right? That, yes. That and is. as we're coming in, smart. it like I mean. It felt to me like we were sideways. I'm sure it wasn't even close to sideways, but I mean, it like it felt like if uh, whatever ninety, it felt like we were at a forty-five plowing wow. sideways, and then when it skated back, it, like it went over too far the other way. I mean, it was like it was a slow like scaling. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was. I mean, I never get scared on flights, and I was, and I, what I usually do is you know look at the stewardesses or find mm-hmm. someone, and there was some. Um, the stewardess I saw, like, they gripped and looked at each other, and then that really, like, fucking got well, me. Yeah. Just the alarms. If if the if the people that fly for a living mm-hmm. start freaking out, that's when you know you're <laughs> Oh, I got a way worse one, actually. Well, I got two bad ones. Were you on the way? Were you landing? We were landing. And then and it righted itself. It was fine. Like, there was no issue with it. But And the pilot did say, like... He acknowledged it. Like, it was going to be rough. Yeah, yeah. Like well, of, Mexico City oh, is, is tough because I think it's like a 10,000-foot high airport. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. and it, Which I, makes it I think the lots approach of is strange then. for some reason. Yeah. I don't recall, but but I heard that from someone else. Afterwards. Well, I'll tell you um, what's going on this week, mm-hmm. which is in the news like right now, is, is Boeing is in a world of hurt with that Lion Air crash that happened in Indonesia. You guys might have heard of that last week. There's been no. so many crashes in Indonesia. Well, Lion Air had a crash over there. Um, not an airline I'm like super familiar with, but okay. it's been in the headlines all week because this was a brand new airplane from Boeing. It was only two months old. And they'd had mechanical problems that had been reported by flight crews for like three or four days. And so maintenance had been working on it. These pilots took off, probably knew there'd been some issues, and they got to about 5,000 feet and then plummeted down and crashed uh, in the ocean. So it turned out, uh, what's happening right now, the story is like every hour there's like more news on this. But what's so interesting about this is this is a brand new airplane called a Boeing 737 MAX. What MAX means is it's got even bigger, bigger engines and then some design changes to accommodate these really big engines. Well, it turned out that Without telling any of the pilots of the airlines that now fly this airplane, like American Airlines and like Southwest Airlines, they're customers of this airplane, they put in a feature that bypasses the pilots, not just when you're on the autopilot, but a feature that when you're manually flying it, when the pilots are steering it, not with the autopilot on, that if the airplane thinks it's near a stall, it noses the airplane over. But not only did it nose it over in this case, and these guys weren't near a stall, it nosed it over so violently that 
pulling on the control wheel. They couldn't pull the nose of the airplane Shut back the up. Fuck up, Kathleen. Yeah, Get out of, yeah. God so this damn is, it. But this is like <laughs> this is like a huge deal because yes. they didn't tell them. So the pilots' unions and American have already come out. In fact, I think one of the pilots I saw, like the headline says, we're pissed. I mean, that's what they literally oh, said, yeah. like, we're pissed. Like, I would refuse to fly the plane. To think that, yeah, that, that their control can be taken away is, is absolutely right. terrible. Yeah. yeah. And so they're uh, rightfully so upset about this that there's nothing. So they looked in their training manuals and there's nothing about the system. And they said, well, we didn't think the pilots would ever know about the system because it's only there to kind of help them. Uh, so we didn't tell them about it. But see, here's what I think. I think probably and again i'm just theorizing here mm -hmm. they didn't say anything about it because then they'd have to explain well why do we have this why do why was it necessary in this model to put this in so you think mm. there was a, a fault in how the airplane kind of flies say, well, yeah, yeah why would be why would be the reason they put that in there Oh, well, they're saying the reason they put it in is because of these big new engines. They had to sling the engines further ahead of the wing for uh -huh. the center of gravity, and they had to pull them up higher into the wing because they're bigger so that they wouldn't, like, hit the ground and hit snow banks and that kind of stuff. And so with that, that changes your stall characteristics. When we uh -huh. talk about stall, we don't mean the engine. We mean when the wing gets too high and yeah. the air gets too slow and then it falls. Right. So to aid the pilot in what they would call high high angle of attack. That means when your wings kind of pointed up situations, this thing would nose the airplane over, kind of for them, in quotation marks, sure. to help them. But, the, oh, the, but the sensor on the outside of the plane that tells the, the plane what the wind is doing, you know, how they're moving through air, how they're moving, it's called an angle of attack indicator. That thing malfunctioned. In fact, I think it might have been replaced for that flight. Um, and so that told the, the, the airplane, oh, we're stalling. We're stalling. So it kept nosing the airplane over. The pilots were trying to pull it up. I mean, it's like a true nightmare scenario for pilots. Yeah. And they didn't know what to do because they hadn't been told about this change. And so I think that this is going to be a real um, interesting lawsuit. I wonder if Boeing is rich enough that, like – you know, if you're so big that you even when shit where you're to like like Wells Fargo with their banking shit, right. like if that's any other business, you're just yeah. fucking done. Yeah. You know, but if, no, if no, Boeing... it'll probably just be a little ping because yeah. they make you know half the world's airliners, yeah, with, along with Airbus, and they make million. yeah, and they make a great airplane. I mean, I've always yeah. preferred flying on Boeing actually over Airbus. Uh, so they oh do, really oh. You, like like you have favorite airplanes kind of like that. Oh, yeah. There's, there's, I mean, there's a well-known saying in the industry, which is, if it's not Boeing, I'm not going. Really? So, yeah, I'd say, yeah. <laughs> wow. We should see if we can get uh, commercial <laughs> Airbus to be, <laughs> or whatever, Airbus to be a sponsor. I know. I shouldn't say that because Airbus builds a good airplane, too. And uh, I once won an award from Airbus, so I, I, I do like the folks at Airbus. But I am partial to the Boeing because the Boeings, you actually have a control wheel that you hold on to that actually oh. goes to flight controls. And Airbus tends to be what they call a fly-by-wire, which okay. is electrical impulses, mm -hmm. and you hold on to a little joystick. Yeah, fuck that. So, yeah. So, so as, as a pilot, do you, does it bother you as much as it bothers me when the plane lands safely and everybody claps before they get off the plane? Like they were expecting no. to crash. No, I'm actually surprised that you've heard that because when I used to fly for Sun Country, we would get applause a lot. But I thought it was maybe just like a like a Sun Country thing, like the hometown. Thing. I didn't know that no, you heard like that. I've flown like oh, yeah. Delta, American Airlines, and whatever, you've had applause and, like, all like, the time. Like I'm talking about on like smooth flights, mm -hmm. and we just land, and then like 
Wow. People just started clapping. It's not like one person claps and then, they, okay, we'll like guilt everybody into clapping. It's like the whole plane is relieved yeah. that we didn't die on the way there. You know, the only, I mean, honest you to God, dumb we would. motherfuckers. Right. What are you on this plane <laughs> for if you're that scared? Well, of, no, yeah. we would get applause quite a bit when I flew for Sun Country, but it would be if the weather was bad. So if the weather was oh, bad yeah. and then you're coming into land and it's turbulent, you're doing some blizzard and, you know, icy runway and everything. And so people were so relieved, mm-hmm. I think, you know, that they had a... Oh, for sure, were, icy, icy runway. Right. Yeah. You know how fucking they stupid I am? I actually, I was in Mexico again, had smoked a joint, I was thinking about flying home, and it started tripping me out in my head. I was like, how the fuck do airplanes fly in cold air? Like, there's something in my head that it's like, like, is it harder to float in cold air? Cold air is less. De- I'm, I'm, I'm not going right. to pursue this. I know that's not get, right. You're trying to get too scientific. But it is. I, I, can't, I don't even understand no, how. No, you bring up a good point. You bring up is a good it point. different flying them in yes. really cold? When you get up to altitude, um, the air is thinner. Mm-hmm. But that's why you go so much faster because you've got less resistance. Okay. So And you also get better engine performance. But um, So it's usually about like 60 below up at altitude. It is. Okay. Yeah. What? But cold matters. Look at the space shuttle. The yeah, one blew up. That absolutely. was that was because of cold conditions that, on those O rings, and that's what. How do that down. pilots think in terms of if you're a commercial airline pilot and you go, "I'm going to do this for 40 years"? Do you take for granted that you're going to have a close call at some point? No, like, like a no. scary thing. No, no. I think pilots live in a in a bubble of denial. You have to mm-hmm. almost. Um, so you're kind of. I mean, I'm kind of ultra safety conscious, you know, but I think a lot of pilots are. You're kind of almost like uh, OCD about things because you're so used to using checklists. And Thank God. Yeah. And doing yeah. things. So you're kind of in this weird uh, bubble, but you're also in a little denial because your office is, you know, like five miles, six miles up in the sky, hurtling right. through space, you know, at 90% the speed of sound. We used to actually fly it. That was our max was like 90% mock. Um, now, most planes now go around like... 80 to 85 percent mock but so yeah you have and to mock have is sorry oh, the speed on. of sound is it right is yeah. it how many miles per hour i think it's like 600 that's what i thought god yeah. damn it i wish i would have said it i would have sounded smarter because <laughs> i really I, I really had it there um what uh fuck missed opportunity is that true so when you're flying a 747 737 whatever does that feel at all like does it feel like you're flying you know what I mean? Like, is is it as gratifying as flying a smaller, like a Cessna? Or well, it doesn't. It feels different because you've got more, you know, heft there, and you almost feel like you're in a bubble, like the behind the cockpit door. Like yeah. you almost forget about everything that's back there. Um, but all we, the humanity, <laughs> right? The, the lives you're responsible for, women and children. <laughs> well, it 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 is a lie that. I mean, for the most part, pilots aren't worried about the passengers. You're worried about yourself, yeah. and then the passengers will benefit right, you know, right, from that. Right. Um, but you do try to give the passengers uh, um, a nice ride. But the feel of it is fantastic. Like, I mean, what I what I miss right now the most is that that last hundred miles when you click off the autopilot. That's usually when you start down. Is roughly around a hundred miles, mm-hmm. and we, you know, when you click. We would be on the autopilot during cruise, and then we'd click it off to descend. And then you're just flying it the whole way down. Okay. And that, that feel, especially like on a windy day, and you're really bucking the winds and uh-huh. you're feeling it, and, and that is that is fun. Like, that is exciting. I, w- I was uh, doing a comedy gig in Asheville, North Carolina, and I had to fly into 
Charlotte, I believe, mm-hmm. and then get on. It was my first little plane with the two propellers, oh, whatever. Yeah. And oh, I just okay. thought, oh, this is. But yeah, fucking. Bu- that's how Buddy Holly died, or whatever. And that's no, he died in a single engine. engine. Whatever, as far as I'm concerned, it had propellers on it, and that's how we went down. <laughs> and I'm going down too. But the sensation of climbing, and the and I was sitting right on the wing, and just a. <laughs> and then the second it planes out, it's like dead silent, and I mean dead silent to where it's like. I mean, I like my stomach, like when, like right, I mean, I was like reaching for like the parachute, like the to jump. fucking engines quit. I thought, and I, that just it blew me away that it could go from that loud to silent just because the engine is not wor- like working as hard. Working as hard, that's right. Yeah, as soon as you get even like a thousand feet, you power back. Yeah, for noise abatement and and also for engine wear. And then, noise yeah. abatement is that for the for the passengers' benefit? No, for the people for on the, the ground. Engines. Yeah, people on the ground. What? Wait, really? Wait, people on the ground? Yeah. You're, oh, yeah. You're, you're, you're a... For the angel. <laughs> this guy, you're joking. No, I mean, when you take off from He's an airport. deeply religious. <laughs> when you take uh, off from an airport. Now, nowadays, the engines are much quieter. These high bypass engines they have. But mm-hmm. like the 727, for instance, was a really loud airplane. And so as soon as we'd take off, as soon as you get up to like, a, I think it was like a thousand feet, you'd power back. Only to spare the ears of the people that lived on the ground, it would make the noise complaints to the airport all the time. Yeah, so, I yeah. live in the Longfellow neighborhood, oh, south yeah. of Minneapolis. Screw you! Yeah. You knew where you were buying your house. Yeah. That was my attitude. Like, you knew you sure got a good deal on that house. Yeah. <laughs> I never complain about, it. and it's fine because we're like once every four days or something like that. Well, five and it's so days, much it's quieter now. No, yeah. I'm sure you've noticed the sound is, is so much quieter on, on new engines. Yeah, but I visited a friend close to the airport and I was like, yeah, this fucking sucks. <laughs> like, it was, it's very loud. But but yeah, um, how about uh, plane crashes? Is it true? I don't know if I heard this or if I just believe it, or, but I've heard that 90% of crashes happen within five minutes of takeoff or landing. Well... Most over the years, you know, uh, there's nothing to hit up at altitude, so you're not going to hit a lot in cruise, you know, unless you run into a sounds like you almost hit a yeah, uh, (laughs) B-52 bomber, but yeah. yeah. So most accidents traditionally have happened in the approach and landing phase because that's when you're, you know, getting most can go wrong. Yeah, that's where you're getting close to the ground and that sort of thing. So that tends to be. that's where the ground is. So that's the ground. Really okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I suppose. I, it's, I mean, it's just like when people say like most car accidents happen within five miles of your yeah. home. Well, you're always oh, driving another... within five miles. Oh, of your home. Yeah. Yeah, you said within five miles of another car. No. No. Well, car yeah, accidents. Yeah. Okay. I'm joking. <laughs> um, what? Uh, when you're up there flying, these are just dumb guy questions here, but. Um, how defined is your route? Like if you're flying from Minneapolis to Los Angeles, huh. it, it, is it truly like there's like highways up there? Like do you pass other commercial yeah. airlines going the other way? Yeah. yeah. In fact, they used to call them vector airways and highways in the sky. And then they started inventing better onboard um, avionics where you could kind of navigate yourself a little bit more. And so um, they, they they do refer to it that way, kind of like okay. a highway in the sky. And you do see other airplanes um, all the time. When you're flying, yeah, you do all oh, the yeah. time. Yeah. What? The time. So, and there's never close calls of that where you come out of a cloud and you go, "Jesus Christ, that guy was 500 yards away" or <laughs> well, something like that. Well, here's what's interesting: is you used to have to have uh, greater separation than you do now. 
Now with the um, avionics that they have and the tracking they can do, planes can actually alert each other. So like when you used to come into Minneapolis with those two parallel runways we have here, you couldn't do side-by-side approaches. You couldn't look out and have another airplane on your wingtip doing an approach. You, they had to stagger them. Why but is now that? You, is it because of the wash or whatever? Well, no, no, so we plane? wouldn't hit each other because they couldn't. we couldn't monitor them like if you're in the clouds and they, okay. the tower couldn't monitor them or radar. But now it's so good with um, TCAS and these other systems that airplanes will alert each other if they get into their bubble of, of air. So planes get a lot closer now um, up at altitude and coming into land because we're fitting in, you know, millions and millions more flights uh, every year. We're adding, more, you know, millions yeah. more. So the, the skies are definitely um, getting a little more crowded. But the separation is good because mm-hmm. the avionics uh, let you know where, where the other aircraft are. How much are you um... – because, you know, so I've had experiences, whether it be storms or whatever, where, you, where you're coming into an air, uh, an airport and you see tons of airplanes stacked up, mm-hmm. you know. And, in fact, my scariest airline um, issue was we were coming into Minneapolis here and he was coming into the um, – we were coming into the runway. And I thought to myself, I was looking out and I was like, God, it seems like we're high to be hitting the, uh, like, this feels like we're really deep into the uh, <laughs> runway here. Like, we should be down, I think. And then all of a sudden, the guy just fucking gassed it. And there were two pilots deadheading back somewhere. And they were sitting up and to the left of me. And the pilot just went, <laughs> and like, and it just, it was the most straight up I've ever felt like I've flown. And we're banking to the right really hard. And the plane felt like it was doing this, like, a jerk thing or whatever or losing mm-hmm. power almost and i mean it was those pilots i mean they gripped gripped the armrests and like looked you know leaned forward to look outside and they oh, were really? like oh people were going crazy it's wow. the first time i've been on a plane where where everyone gasped okay. you know like there was screams throughout the plane like it was it was terrifying but you could see visually outside um yeah yeah okay so that's what they call a go around yeah which could have been initiated by them, like they could have seen they were way too high to yeah. land. It could have been initiated by the tower. There could have been another airplane on the runway. Well, so, like that. yeah, so this is what happened. So it went back around and uh, and the guy came on pretty calmly, or you know, and he said, uh, he goes, uh, uh, all right, everyone, uh, sorry about that. Uh, two planes, one runway. So uh, we're going to make another approach <laughs> back. And he, and he seemed like he was calm kind of. But you could tell how he landed the next time. It was deep again. And I mean, it was a hairy landing. Like, it, hard, you can tell when it's just super hard, hard breaks and, and uh, yeah. barely miss whatever the taxiway where you have to turn. Like, you could tell it was. And I, and I just thought, boy, I wonder if he was really rattled or what. How much skill does your pilot make a difference in this day and age when, in my mind, it's mostly computers is my guess, but I don't know. Well, it's, yeah, there's been a huge degradation worldwide of general pilot skills. And most airline pilots will admit that because um, a lot of countries aren't hiring, you know, experienced pilots anymore. They're, they're hiring pilots that are trained, you know, and hired by that airline. And then they train them. They train them for like a year. So they might start with 300 hours. Mm-hmm. You know, 300, I mean, no, I started at the airlines, I had 3,000 hours, you know, so you get right. really inexperienced pilots. Um, like here that. in the U.S., we still have really good, you know, experienced pilots because there's still been enough of, uh, you know, a deep enough pilot pool. 
So skill matters. Um, and what's interesting is knowledge, though, matters too, because and we don't know for sure yet about this line air crash last week, but they, they're theorizing that if these pilots had hit these cutout switches, these stabilizer trim cutout switches, there's a chance then that that system would have disengaged and they might have been able to get control. Mm-hmm. But they weren't taught that procedure. But if you know your airplane well enough, you might already know that procedure. And so, again, we have to see how this all unfolds. So sometimes it's knowledge. And a few years ago, you might remember, in, I think it was 2009, Air France crashed in the Atlantic Ocean. Um, tragic accident. They took off from Rio de Janeiro, uh, big Airbus. Everybody on board's happy. Everything's going great. They take off to going from Rio to Paris, and they get up to altitude, and the uh, sensors on the exterior side of the airplane started to freeze over. And they got an indication that they were stalling. But the captain wasn't in the airplane. The ca- I'm sorry, he wasn't in the cockpit. <laughs> oh, he was in the oh, airplane. <laughs> He's been abducted by aliens. But he was in the back, which is standard on a lot of long flights. The crew goes into the back, and then they have what they call a cruise pilot comes up and flies for him. And then the pilot's supposed to rest in the back, and then he's supposed to come up and do like the approach and landing. For instance, like especially on long flights like from – you know, Chicago to Tokyo and stuff. Mm-hmm. This, this is very common. So they did this. And so what happened is when these things iced over, these probes, um, it started to give an indication of a stall, meaning, again, the airplane's getting too slow. The airplane has to maintain a certain speed for the wing to maintain lift. And so um, he actually came running up to the cockpit at the last second. But the pilots that were flying it, uh, one of them did not believe they were in a stall. And one of them did. They're fighting each other. But it doesn't matter because I believe in this particular model, the captain's control. Would which was being, Yeah, which was being operated by this cruise pilot at the time. The team. guys would fight each other? Like, I mean, truly? No, no I mean fighting the controls. No, right. So but one's pulling up. I'm saying one's pulling up, yeah, one's pushing exactly. down. Yeah. And Holy so shit. He came up, I think, at the last second. Um, uh, I have to review this. I haven't I've written about this accident before, but I haven't reviewed it for a while. But... Um, I think he came up at the last second, but it was too late. And I think they went from like altitude to crashing into the ocean in like, you know, three minutes. I mean, they, they, but they were in a stall the whole time. And so you'd think, well, how does that happen? How can a pilot not recognize that, yeah. his, that uh, you know, that his airplane's not in a stall? And so uh, the pilot that didn't know they were in a stall, he kept pulling, trying to pull the nose of the airplane up. While the other guy's trying to say it to him, you're stalled, you're stalled, you got to lower the nose, you got to lower the nose. But when you see that altimeter winding down thousands of feet per second, yeah. that thing's just spinning, that dial spinning. Of feet, feet and per so, second. you know, it's, it's intuitive to not want to go down and to pull back. Mm-hmm. And you have to force that. So that's, that's an accident where um, both skill and knowledge, you know, we're definitely lacking. But I see what you're saying. With, in yeah. the computerized era, does skill matter? And yes, it will always matter because. You know, the box is malfunction. Yeah, yeah. Do you prefer taking off or landing? Is there any difference? Oh, landing. Yeah, taking off so easy. I mean, anybody can take off, yeah. Oh, like, see, I, I hate taking off. we can off. take off, we can go get an assessment yes. or whatever. Right well, now. actually, believe it or not, it'd be harder in a little airplane because they have a thing called P-factor or torque with the propeller spinning. But in a jet where you have basically centerline thrust if all the engines are operating, it's really easy. Okay. And you have no sense of speed. You think when you lift off at 130 miles an hour or whatever, you have no – it seems like you're going so slow. It seems you, too slow. Yeah, but, it seems but so do you, slow. Do you feel like the – so like when you're riding in a plane, like the jets kick in, you kind of feel like 
you push back in your chair. Like, do you feel that as a pilot as well? Like, what, like, can you, yeah, what is the experience what is like in the front like of the plane? Off? Yeah, because I know sitting in the very back, which they make me sick because yeah. of the color of my skin, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I've been honorary uh, for years, but uh, <laughs> um, you know, like in the back, you fucking you, like you really feel it, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I I think. Yeah, so is it different? Yeah, you feel less of the cockpit. You feel turbulence less, just like you do over the wing. You feel it less. If you want the roughest ride, sit in the back of the airplane, you know, all the way to the back, because that's where the tail. That's where the tail's. That's where the tail is fishtailing. You'll get the roughest ride, but yeah, you don't notice it as much in the cockpit. Everything seems much slower. Where you really see everything is landing, and landing, coming into land like on a short runway. On a really turbulent day with a really gusty crosswind, maybe over some terrain. Yeah. You know, that stuff. I mean, then you're really, you're on, like you're focused. You're being a pilot in a real, yeah. you know, way, landing yeah. like that. You're really focused. Do you have a favorite route? Like, I mean, how different is it up, you know, when you're just cruising altitude and stuff? Or is it just mm-hmm. whatever? You could be anywhere. Well, it's funny. I've flown... Like Minneapolis to Las Vegas a thousand times. Yeah. And I actually liked it because you fly over the Rocky Mountains. Mm-hmm. So it's gorgeous. You get yeah. this beautiful view. You usually get some turbulence. So it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And then you're coming into Vegas. Do you think turbulence is fun? <laughs> Where it terrifies oh. everybody else. <laughs> and, so, then he, yes, the and then you get turbulence. And then you come in over the desert, you know, into Las Vegas. And you always land. I mean, almost always. 99% of the time you land on the same runway. Going the same direction in Vegas. If you come in the daytime, you know if you're staying, it's going to be a fun time. If you come mm-hmm. in at night, you get the lights of Vegas. So yeah, that's a nice flight. I like uh, that's I, a nice. I flight. love that flight actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's a really. A uh, but there's other flights that yeah are just awful. You know, just like we used to go to this place called Bullhead City, Arizona, <laughs> in a big seven twenty seven jet. You know, on this little runway, and it's got wires in front of it, and KII. So yeah. A lot of it depends on the airport uh, that and, you're landing at. And, and to go back to kind of where Gabe was talking about the skill of pilot versus computer, do they hire a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot, but just like ex-military, because we just had a, a World War II fighter pilot oh, guy on, yeah, and yeah. not that you're hiring some elderly guy, but are there right. any so, like <laughs> military... Like, are there any like military crossover into? Oh commercial yeah, planes? yeah. They used to really favor um, military pilots, but now our military is training very, very few pilots. I mean, more we're more drone oriented now, and so oh, there's yeah. there's a lot less pilots for the airlines to hire from the military, and the huh. military's got actual shortages of military pilots. Okay, how, um, but how yeah, you you, the- you get you can get really good pilots from the military because they don't, um, you know, they don't get. They don't get rattled in. Yeah, they don't get rattled easily. Can you tell the difference? Have you ever worked with a military pilot where it's like maybe it's they just well, I just want to fly, and it's not what they were living thought it would be, like as far as adrenaline. Oh yeah, well no, I mean because most military pilots, the ones that I've flown with, knew they weren't going to be in it that long into the military. It's not probably going to be a lifelong you know flying career. But I've seen some phenomenal military pilots, and I've seen some phenomenal. Civilian pilots, but I think the airlines really preferred for many years the the military because they've been vetted. You know, the pilots yeah. have been vetted. Yeah. Physically, they've been vetted. Emotionally, they've been vetted. I mean, it doesn't mean that, you know, a bad one doesn't slip through every now and then. But it's just less likely to yeah, yeah. slip up. What does a bad pilot look like? Or, you know, I mean, uh, 
you know, in terms of how does that manifest Asia. itself? Asia. Well, there's two mm-hmm. kinds of bad pilots. There's the pilot that's actually good, but you just can't stand to fly with him, mm-hmm. you know, because he's just such an idiot. Um, you just you, you can't stand his personality. But I think most pilots would say that the worst pilots are the pilots that don't know they can screw up, you know, that don't know. Okay. And so the best pilots are the ones that say, hey, you know, to the rest of the crew, whether that's nowadays it's usually just one other person. In the old days it used to be you had three crew up there, but we'll say, you know, keep an eye on me. If you see anything, you know, speak up, speak up. And right. That sort of thing. What are the, th- so how about that? Just as far as the roles, like what are, you know, what are those people doing up there? What is, you know, you have your captain, you have the whatever, two other people. What well, do they na- do? yeah, nowadays you mostly just have a captain and a co-pilot. You mm-hmm. used to have a flight engineer. Okay. Um, and basically they trade off 50-50. I mean, the captain flies one leg, usually the co-pilot flies the next, and the captain flies the next. And the captain will make the decisions on that, but usually they try and split everything equally. And the person that's flying is usually not the person talking on the radio. So... Um, when you're flying, like, say you're half, you know, maybe a third of the way into your flight and someone comes on from the cockpit to talk about, you know, ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard Delta Airlines flight 787 down south surface of Las Vegas. Oh, you have a good pilot voice. Oh, yeah, yeah. You practice that, you know. Sit back and relax. It's kind of hot. <laughs> you got it, right? I know. <laughs> You should you should do like some porny airlines or something like that. Right? <laughs> Could be a new side business. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, I'm having fun up here. Sit back, relax, and uh, leave the flying to us. Oh, she's she good. Avoided, she avoided the question. No, no, I don't think so. I think she'll answer. Are you, are you part, uh, of, are you part of the high club? You know, I am so proud to say that I am not a member. Because I've always said, how can you mix those two things? And that flying is, you know, for me, it was almost like a religion. You yeah. like having sex in church. You know? That's it why was I would like think you would. Yeah. Like, so you <laughs> That's exactly you, why I you think don't you would. You put it on like autopilot and then just go have a quickie in the bathroom? Believe it or not, I, I have a female friend that did do that in the cockpit. Uh, they wow. had an empty airplane. Um, and it was a doesn't small. Matter. It was a small. Yeah, it, matter, yeah, it was yeah. a small regional airline, and I I just don't know the gymnastics of how they did that. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm proud to say that no, I uh, I uh, honored you know, right being in you the kept air. It pure. Yes, see, kept I it pure. I truly would think, and we should say for the listeners, um, uh, she's a dime. Uh, <laughs> she's uh, so so I so I know that you were hit on a lot and stuff like that that must have been and you love flying so i would think there would be just you know the endorphins are already going in that way they're, they're like uh, honestly must be awesome tension up there though all the time yeah i mean it's funny people i would always think that they think oh you must get hit on by the pilots constantly mm-hmm. but actually i got hit on very little i think um pilots are much more interested in flight attendants than yeah. pilots yeah because you're kind of one of them. You're kind of one of their buddies. Yeah. And so, I mean, it would happen occasionally. You know, Are you just one of those people who isn't sure when someone's... I, 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 that might be what, I, I have that a feeling so. that, too. If we're, if we're flying in a plane next to each other for 10 hours... Yeah. I'm going to hit on you. No, I'm no, going to no, throw no. a move by the end of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the layovers. Because, you know, you're on the layovers. Yeah. And you're on layovers sometimes. 
you know, in fun places, Mexico, the Bahamas, you know, the Korean, yeah. um, Las Vegas. It turned on just this idea, this <laughs> loose know. lifestyle. So, uh, but uh, not that, not that much. I think. Uh, Were you married through through like no. most of your pilot days? I was married uh, a couple times, you know, off and on through my yeah through my pilot. <laughs> like like most good pilots, yeah. I have some divorces under my. Did you, uh, yeah, I mean, it must be a, a horrible profession to be married in. Oh, it is. I, I can honestly say that I think that, oh, God, they're going to hate me for saying this, but I feel like 98% of the guys I flew with were either just got out of an affair, were looking to be in an affair, we're edit that or were just, just about uh, to get in an affair. <laughs> just, just for uh, male kind of. <laughs> No, I mean being being away like that all the time as a comic yeah. on the road and and yeah. stuff like that. It's just hell on a on a marriage. It, it's fucking hard, and that's right, a big reason we're podcasting not, right now. Even if you're not doing anything, there's the speculation just, from home of yes. Well, what are they doing on the yeah. road? Like, well, I'm just laying in bed watching TV. Well, I don't know. And like, just that distance, like yeah. it's just being away and being gone. Well, and, I used to wonder because. You know, we'd see new guys come to the airline and they'd be so fresh faced and so mm-hmm. sweet. And then you'd see them slowly get Morphous. corrupted. You know? oh. And I couldn't understand were people that were cheaters just attracted to airline flying or did airline flying make them that way? But here's what I finally figured out it's opportunity. Anybody yes. that has that kind of opportunity right. is going to be so much more likely because it's not just the being away from home, it's the being put into hotels. It is. Together. Hotels make people horny. And then when you have the long layovers, you're socializing together. But you know what I mean? You're going out to dinner, you're drinking, yeah. and sometimes you've got rooms next to each other. So I think it really – but I was stunned. So that's why I never dated. I don't think. Um, I mean, maybe like once or twice, but I really never got into a relationship with an airline pilot because I saw – how they lived on the road, you know. Did you? Yeah. Oh, I can see that. How long are the layovers? How long are the layovers? Well, the layovers could be, you know, horrible. It could be you get an eleven p.m. and you're back, you know, at like seven a.m. But sometimes we would get a day and a half somewhere. You know, because like, oh my god, you do a lot of damage in a day and a half. Fuck another guy. I mean, really? Like, like you more so like because you say like, oh, you go out and party, but it's like you can't be hung over. Oh, back then you could. Well, yeah, back then. Well, no, not on, no, not on the short flights. But on the long flights, like we used to have a thing where we would go, we would actually have two full days off in Las Vegas. So there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of partying and going out and stuff and that kind of stuff. Do you drink? Like, I mean, are you, I mean, I see, you know, you're having a beer, but I'm just curious. Everybody drank. But yeah, I mean, there was, I can remember once seeing a pilot drink an entire case of beer. I mean, I think there were like minis, but. Yeah. Still. And uh did I mean so pre nine eleven that era and stuff, uh which which I definitely want to talk yeah. about that, but I truly would not be surprised if you said that you've uh flown with people who are having a cocktail once in a while. Like just hey, we're doing this ten hour flight, you're doing it, I'm on my I'm done for the next three hours, I'll sit up here and have a cocktail. I've never seen anyone drink in the cockpit, but I have heard in the old days that Air France uh used to have wine. Really? Client, yeah, with their meals. I would love that. I would love it. Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, we used to, um, I mean, we would have a lot of fun in the cockpit. Like, I can remember some of my favorite guys, I used to fly this guy named Rico, and it was a lot of fun. There was three of us. Guy named Rico. And he would make a pitcher of salsa every morning in a blender. And so he'd bring that. Rico and then Jake would bring the cards, and we'd take off, 
And as soon as we got to altitude, autopilot on, he'd break out the big picture as chips and saws. He'd set up a big tray on the center console. We'd break out the cards and we just have a fun time playing, you know, until eventually it's like, oh crap, we gotta, we gotta yeah. land, you know. Really? But uh, it was, I, it was very and if, enjoyable. Yeah. And if that plane crashed, that company would get sued. Like, why'd the plane crash? I don't know. But the pilots were eating chips and salsa. <laughs> no, the uh, <laughs> plane poker. Only say, yeah, so a bunch of cards fly about the cabin. Yeah, it used what? to alarm people because I'd sleep all the time. And I also didn't like the sun in my eyes, so I would take those maps and I'd tape them up over the windshield all the time. <laughs> so flight attendants would come in and they'd say, how do you see out here? And we're like, well, you know. But um, just to sleep a lot. And uh, uh, as long as one guy stays awake, you know, it's yeah. fine. It's fine. But now, wow. because now you have two crew airplanes, you really can't sleep because you can't count on the other guy. So right, we had three away. a lot when I started. And so you could depend that the other two would keep each other awake. How different was it um, back in the day, too, as far as how many hours um, a pilot could fly? I mean, because I believe that's been pulled back, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, no, it, it's always been you have to have like eight hours off in 24. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, okay. I mean, unless it's international yeah. and that sort of thing, but... Yeah. Okay. And and how serious is the no cell phones before, like, during takeoff? And, like, how, like, because they make it sound like, mm-hmm. well, if your cell phone's on, this plane will fall out of the sky. Yeah, well, I don't think they're, are they still saying that? Nope, um, nope. They yeah. just stopped. I think they dropped. Oh, they did yeah. just stop? Yeah. Oh, okay. You want to know my joke, though, that yeah. I'd say all the time? Yeah. So this is my, my like, stock joke, is that they'd say, uh, sir, you need to turn your... Turn your cell phone off. I'd say, oh, no, no, this is a signal jammer. <laughs> that was always my fault. Whatever. They never left. But it was fun for me. Yeah. No, it doesn't really matter. I never turn mine off. Um, and there's hypothetically some situations, you know, where maybe any anything electrical could interfere. But uh, no, that thing was pretty over. Okay. I think what you really need to be concerned about is the batteries. That's the thing. The batteries on cell phones are a lot more dangerous than the, than oh. the signal. Yeah. Oh, exploding. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Overheating cell phones. Yeah. Overheating. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? Um, fun times in the cockpit. Was there anything else like that? I'm just so I'm so blown away. Yeah. Salsa and poker is fun as it got, or is there a time where? Oh, I mean, there's guys who do. St- I wasn't on the flight, but there was like I think one flight where the guys all. When they landed and all the passengers were off, the, the pilots took all their clothes off. So then when the flight attendants would come up to open the door to say, okay, you know, we're deplaning now, then they'd all be sitting up there naked. I mean, they probably had their so awesome. It's like yeah. Animal House. Yeah. And then um, um, I can remember a flight where we just had a bunch of company personnel on board and what we call deadheaders. And the captain wanted to work on something. So I was a co-pilot, so he said, why don't you sit in the captain's seat? He goes, I'm going to go sit in the back to do my paperwork. And there was a male flight attendant that was taking flying lessons who we put in the co-pilot seat. <laughs> and I thought, boy, wouldn't that make an interesting scenario? Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Where was everybody in this musical chairs? You know, um, But things were so much looser pre-9-11. I cannot stress how yeah. 9-11 didn't just change security. It kind of changed everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just changed right, the whole. Everybody's now under a microscope. Yeah, everything's just. Yeah. Down. You said that that the cockpits got smaller. Is that right? Well, no. Just some of the when we, when we flew on some of the airplanes, I used to fly like the DC-10 and the 727. The cockpits are just really big, and they have two extra seats in there, so you could actually have five seated belted people. Plus, during cruise, you might have a couple guys in there standing. 
So you could easily have seven people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like seven people up in the cockpit. Now, today, you're not going to see that like in the, the 737 cockpit. But. So, so then are you um, – like do you even hear sexual harassment anymore after being a female pilot in the early 80s? Like does it all just bounce off your armor now at this point? You told me a story when I was walking around Menards talking to her on the phone. Uh, before this, oh, and yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. and she told a story that that I actually like lost my breath in that same way where I was like, "Whoa, that's some yeah. serious sexual harassment." Because they were good in the old days. Well, no, it's and and I'm not saying anything that I don't agree with the Me Too movement. You know, I do, and there's certainly a lot of horrible harassment, and I think it's awful mm -hmm. if anybody tries to intimidate you out of a job or tries to get you to engage in some kind of relationship you don't want to. That being said. I took so much shit for so many years trying to be a female pilot. And I was yeah. always the only one. I mean, you know, the, for the first flight school at, I was the only one. Um, then when I was teaching, you know, there weren't many. Then my first, you know, commuter airline job, I was the only one. I mean, the guys wouldn't even talk to me at that job. Um, then when I went to Sun Probably Country Airlines. intimidated. No, no. And then when I went to Sun Country Airlines, I think I was the only woman there for at least two years, you know, so, um, but they were really great to me at Sun Country because that was like the, I was like a mascot. I was kind of like, here's our, here's our girl pilot, you know? Yeah. You're like the token black guy. You <laughs> trot it out. Yeah. Like, hey, we're not He's racist. A big, that's a big part of this show. <laughs> it's like the little mascot. Mm -hmm. So they were very, uh, very good to me there. Very protective of me there. Oh. How many, how many UFOs have you flown? <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because, uh, just this week, off the coast of Ireland, uh, I yes. think it was Air Canada reported their pilots, and then Virgin Air came on and said, "Yeah, they see it." But they think it was probably a meteor because they saw multiple yeah, targets, kind of in profile, moving together. So, but then I thought they said where one accelerated that they yes. accelerated upward or something too. One said at the end that it seemed to veer off in a different direction at crazy speeds. So you don't know if that's just the angle. Mm -hmm. but the fact that there are multiple targets, I don't know. Do you believe in UFOs? I believe that they're unidentified sure. objects. And okay. I believe that people really believe what they see. Mm -hmm. um, there are some airline pilots, you know, that have reported in the past interesting things. You know, mm -hmm. like giant rectangular objects next to the plane, different stuff. Um, I think some astronauts have seen some strange things. So I don't. You know, deny yeah. that they could. I haven't seen anything myself, and I do think never light, seen anything that that nothing, was really nothing. And I do think light can do such yeah. strange things, uh, and shadows and light. Here's kind of my angle on it, because my masters that I worked on, mm -hmm. um, master studies was in the space program, uh, space studies it's called. So I really have an interest in, in the space program and and space exploration. My take is even though I listen to radio shows constantly like George Norrie and ah, Coast to Coast all yeah. that stuff where they, oh, where, awesome. they, where they love the aliens yeah and I want it to be right I listen to that shit same yeah, that's I was, an, I, was an I art, want it to be true yeah I was an Art time, Bell do you fanatic like, I don't you want it. it to be true yes yeah yeah and I, I mean I, I listen to Art Bell all the time you know mm -hmm. but here's what I think in my heart of hearts I think in my heart of hearts if anyone was smart enough to detect us in the universe and then actually get here, they'd be, they'd be smart enough. They, well, they'd be smart enough to cloak themselves. Yeah, and we wouldn't. We wouldn't even know. I have a hard time believing that 
you know, that they I don't know. They're tall whites and grays, probably. Yeah. But, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I love, I love if, if it uh, returns. So kind of, and, and kind of in that same vein, I used to work with a guy that believed that the Earth was flat. You've oh. been in the sky. Can you attest to the roundness or the flatness of the Earth? That's the stupidest dude. Well, you no. really worked with a guy. No, I, I worked with a guy that. that every day was like he would pull up video evidence or like, there's a whole movement. Try, yeah, yeah, the yeah. flat earthers. No, no. He's yeah. like he's like Tevin, like and like he and he brought up like points. Like he wasn't a crazy person. Mm-hmm. Like on the Earth, is yeah. Flat. But he was like, but he, he was. brought up like he was still crazy. But he like, brought up <laughs> points where it was like. I can at least entertain yeah. this idea. Well, the, the, I mean, the whole thing about flat Earth is just don't get too close to the edge, you know. Just mm-hmm. and then you're right. good. You're good. Right. I mean, that's yeah. Yeah. It, it's just one of those things where you go, <laughs> it's a conspiracy theory where nobody fucking gains anything or wins. Right. Like the whole point of yeah. entering a conspiracy is so that you control something or win yeah. some, whatever. And, yeah. His, <laughs> well, his big kick was like the like a religious aspect, and I was like, well, like. He's like, well, do you? Believe? I was like, you know what? The Earth could be flat. It does not change my life on a day to day basis whatsoever. I've never flown high enough to see. I think what they call the penumbra or the curvature yeah. of the Earth. Yeah. You have to start at like above seventy thousand feet. So I haven't been that high. Could oh, be even God. like ninety. I, that, I was going to ask you, what is the highest that you've ever flown? Uh, like forty thousand. Okay. But I will say this: I have had the amazing pleasure of meeting Neil Armstrong in person. Really. And I, in fact, just months uh, before he died in 2012. He's never been to the moon? And I <laughs> do not think that Neil Armstrong <laughs> would keep this whole thing going if it was a scam. So yeah. I do. In fact, it's funny, like, because last night I was looking at the, we had like a quarter moon out there, maybe a half moon last night. And uh, I said jokingly to my husband, I said, nice moon. I said, you know, I met a guy who walked on that once. And then he goes, well, you've actually met a couple. And I said, oh, yeah. That's true, but uh, so no, I believe those guys, and so I, yeah. I believe. Who was that, the other one? Um, Buzz. No, I met Jim Lovell, who was Apollo thirteen. Oh, yeah, so he's yeah. not landed on the moon, but he has circled it numerous times. And then, oh, damn, it's going to escape me. He was the last man to walk on the moon. Um, he was the last man. He died about a year and a half, two years ago. Uh, it was recent. Yeah. No, I know this name. Oh, a uh, Gene Cernan. Yeah. Gene Cernan. Great Son guy, of a bitch. Gene Cernan. God yeah. damn it, I would have known that too. My Jeez. brain is ruined from drugs. Hair <laughs> passes. Yeah. Um, close calls, flying in-flight emergencies. Is there something that we missed there? Oh, I mean, I've had some fun in-flight emergencies. Fun? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I'll start with a mild one because it turned out to be such a good thing. We were flying along one night off the East Coast. This guy, Joe, and I, this was back when I was at the regionals. And of all things, we were talking about, like, the Omen movies and, like, satanic cults and all this kind of, like, revelations and satanic 666 mm-hmm. stuff. And we're flying along, and all of a sudden, we got a full load in the back. And the left <laughs> Is engine. Is that what you too. call it when mm-hmm. you're, like, we got a half load or yeah. you consider <laughs> cargo? <laughs> cargo in the back. And, uh, the load. and all of a sudden, the left <laughs> engine just stopped. Like, there was no noise. There was no explosion. There was no nothing. It just stopped running. And so we made an emergency landing in Washington, uh, D.C., at Washington National, of all places. And uh, that's not where we were going, but that was the um, the, the quickest place. Yeah. And so I made what I thought was the funniest announcement is I said, ladies and gentlemen, as you may have noticed, the left engine 
has ceased to operate. <laughs> so, because we're in a propeller airplane, you know, two big turbo. Oh. It's a turboprop. Oh, okay. So too big. It's a jet engine with a propeller on it, turboprop. And so we landed. But unbeknownst to us, we had a military pilot in the back. And he wrote a letter to the CEO of the company about how well he thought we handled the emergency. And I used that letter to then get my next job, which it really helped me because nice. um, I didn't, you know, again, as a female, you didn't have a lot going for you back then. And so I kind of used that as an excuse to go back to the next airline I was interviewing at. And I'm like, oh, I forgot to bring you this letter. And yeah. I don't know if that tipped the scales, but I was always grateful to that guy for sending that in. And how much of your personality are you able to put into those announcements? Because I feel like most pilots that I've ever interacted with, yeah. like on the plane, they're all the standard generic voice. Sometimes. Like, are you, I, I are like you able to put movement. in like jokes and like oh, well, stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, when I was at Sun Country, we could say almost anything. And again, everything's changed, you know, since yeah. 911, um, uh, 9-11. But um, in Southwest, you know, especially the flight attendants, they do a lot to be really, you know, entertaining. Yes. And yeah. They, they do a lot in the gate most. area and on the plane. But um, – Oh, yeah. I mean, I used to fly with this guy uh, named Bobby, and he was so much fun. Like, we would do stuff like, uh, like, we'd be coming up over the Grand Canyon. So, imagine, you got like, you know, 200 people in the back. He'd say, oh, everybody, we're going to be getting a great view of the Grand Canyon from the left side of the airplane. In fact, you know what? It's so good. Everybody on the right side of the airplane, why don't you get up and people on the left side, open the shades, let the people on the right side of the airplane come over. Okay, so everybody come on over. And then he'd wait a few seconds. And then he'd tip the airplane over to the left. He'd go, oh, not everybody all at once. Not at once, not at once. Shut up. That's <laughs> awesome. That's super that's, fun. That's the kind of guy I want to be my pilot. Like, I want somebody that's going to come on and be like, hey, guys, this turbulence is going to kick your yeah. ass. Buckle up. Yeah. Like, would he ever get, like, I mean, I feel like, he'd get like, fired like in big trouble almost today. What oh, do you think? I mean, I mean people get, should have a sense. Of, that's right. harmless. We, we, but, oh, we could get away. Uh, we could get away with so much back then. Yeah. Did you ever have things of like people, you know, now cockpit access is obviously a huge mm -hmm. thing, right? Yeah, which has really ruined the job. Really? Because, well, yeah, because now you can't come out and talk to the passengers. You can't come out, what was my favorite thing, to rummage, you know, in the galley for food. Pilots sure. can't come out and hit on passengers because you're yeah. bolted in there. And remember, they, they take that? that food cart, you know, and they... yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you so, want. I, say I, it's almost, I feel like it's almost now more like the like armored truck, like yeah, delivering money where it's like you right. don't get out Sterile. of this cockpit yeah. unless. Yeah. And like, if the pilots, no, gun to if you've ever noticed, if they have to use the bathroom, then the flight attendants have to pull the cart in front of it, in front of like the the, uh, the okay, aisle, yeah. and then stand up there. And uh, I know they should just change yes. the whole design and have a bathroom in the cockpit, but. Uh, um, no, I used to spend a lot of the flight in the back because I'm really a, an eater, you know, and so mm -hmm. I was always in the back rummaging food up in the galley. And sometimes they ding me to say, you know, it's been like a half hour. Kathleen, stop <laughs> eating. Kathleen, you get, get up, up here and fly the plane. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, and that's kind of, um, spoiled it. But the one thing that, uh, that is kind of cool that they have yeah, now is you can, some, you know, some of the pilots were armed after. Uh, nine eleven. So that's a big change too. Do you like that? Yeah, I think yeah. it's great. I think yeah? it's great. Yeah. Why is it great? I, I mean, I I do not think it's bad. I'm just curious. Well, I just think you know, obviously, that could have changed the outcome in something like yeah. Uh, no, for sure. Yeah, for sure. In, in fact, I don't know if people realize that a lot of people forget that nine eleven, the mastermind of it, Musawi, mm -hmm. um, 
key train here yes. at the Northwest Airlines Training Center where I was working as an instructor because then I went to the Northwest Training Center as an instructor. And uh, we called it NACO. But a lot of people forget that he trained here in Minneapolis. Yes. And he's kind of crazy. Were you there at the same time? Um, no, but our paths. Pen pals. Well, no, but our, well, we crossed paths. Like, I, don't, I never met him or anything, but I was coming in and out of those facilities and in a, in a facility that was just down the road from them at the time um, that went under a different name, um, teaching ground schools there and, um, and that sort of thing. And so um, I know the people, I know like the supervisor of the instructors that was so that's that was that's what I was gonna ask salary. you if you know people yeah. who dealt with them directly. Yeah. And you know, I had heard the stories a little bit at the time that that they were saying that they just wanted to learn how to fly, not to take off yeah. the land. Uh is that what he did as well? I would imagine. Well he was, he was the one yeah, yeah, he was the one that was kinda renowned for saying that. I don't wanna learn how to land. I just want to learn how to fly this thing. He was the one who said that? Well he was the one that I think they credited. I think that the media credited him. To saying that, and he's the one that came in and wanted to pay in cash, um, and was not a good student, uh, really at all. Yeah, and so it was really his instructor that got suspicious after a while, you know, about him and kept yeah. tipping him off. Um, and then, well, unfortunately, I believe um, that if his laptop computer, I believe they were not able to access it. I think the FBI could not get a search warrant. But I think if they had been able to at the time, things it would have, have turned been. out. Yeah, things could have probably turned out um, a lot different. What wow. did that guy say in terms of how he was as as a student? Was there any? No, he's a know, terrible. Specific? No, he he wasn't good at all. In fact, I looked. I think about a year or two ago, I went online and I was able to access a lot of the court documents. So you can go read transcripts mm-hmm. of. I should say it's more like an affidavit or something, but you yeah. can actually read in great detail. Um, it's actually now. You know, like freedom of information. You yeah, can find yeah. It online. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Um, in fact, that's well. That's kind of how I got into the whole um, accident analysis mm-hmm. thing. Uh, going on TV as a as a um, an, um, analyst with Fox News was the year after. Let me think. Yeah, it was a year after nine eleven. I was in Spokane, Washington, and Mark Furman of the OJ fame mark Furman. what year was this then 2002 so okay so yeah well after year after and um he lived in the sandpoint idaho area which is close to spokane yeah okay and he was at an event that i was at but we weren't there for the same reasons we just happened to be in the same hotel lobby at the same time and he was being filmed by i think vh1 for something some special they were doing on him yeah, because they had like those big Fox News. Yeah, well, they had like those big boom mics that hang over mm-hmm. you know, from the ceiling, yep. and they, he's got this entourage, and they're doing something in the lobby. I'm there for a whole different event, but he sees me, and he's like, and he's like waving to me and like pointing to me, and I'm you know, looking behind me like, and I'm thinking like, who's he talking to? Because there's like a hundred people in this lobby, and I'm just like uh, hugging the wall trying to get to an elevator to get up to my room. So he's kind of pointing to me. And, and I think like, oh my God, he, must know he thinks he knows me. <laughs> uh-huh. He must think I'm like a publicist here or something, you know, but I know who Did he you know is. He was? Okay, oh, right I knew away. who Mark okay. Furman was because I was glued to the OJ trial yeah. and I knew who Mark Furman was. So, and I knew he lived in Spokane because I did radio sometimes. And I knew he had a show in Spokane at the time. So. He did? Yeah. He had what a kind of show? show? 
Um, well, I just feel like he was so, you know, in my recollection, because I was glued to that, but I was mm-hmm. younger, and, and so I wasn't that bright. But my recollection is that he walked out of that not looking good, at least in, in the press. In the, well, in he the, lost a lot. Yeah, he the, lost. Yeah, the racism to be, stuff. Yeah, to be a police officer and that sort of thing. Um, and I think he probably found kindred spirits when he went up to Sandpoint, Idaho area, you know. Uh, but um, kind of, you know, a lot of preppers, that sort of thing. But yeah. uh, he, he lived in Spokane. <laughs> and he racist had a, wife he was. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. he ended up writing a book about Spokane because he put together that there was um, a serial killer in Spokane. And he said at the time he couldn't get the police to believe That's him. That's right. And so he wrote a book called Murder in Spokane. And then he wrote a number of other books about the Martha Moxley, mm-hmm. Michael Skakel Kennedy case, yep. which was made into a movie. Yes. Um, with uh, that guy Maloney, the actor uh, from TV, and um, Christopher Maloney. Yep. And the, that show I saw, that came out, I think it was called Murder in um, Greenwich. Did that reopen that and get him yes. Skakel? Well, I, I, I mean, it probably influenced that. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, so I mean, Furman always had a lot going on with books and radio and investigations, that sort of thing. So I see him. And so I wait because I'm thinking, this is, this is bizarre. Yeah. And he comes over and, and he didn't know me. He just wanted to get to know me, right. you know. So... What so, a confident, like, right? What a confident play. <laughs> yeah, well, so, it does help with the camera crew. Yeah, what helps with the camera crew following yeah. him? Because, you know, you're already intrigued, like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. So, um, so you know, we went out to dinner, and I got to know him a little bit and stuff. And then he, the next day, had to do, and I'd never, you know, seen anything with um filming for for major tv i'd done a little local tv here sometimes like if there were like with the jfk jr crash i did like i think channel five or mm-hmm. i think i did a thing with wcco once for northwest airlines and that sort of stuff but nothing on a big level yeah and so he said to me he got a call when i was with him and they wanted him to quickly go on fox news in new york and i think he he, he goes on fox a lot like as a crime analyst and i said oh well, how are you going to do that and he goes oh i just do it via satellite he goes, do you want to watch? And I said, sure. So we went to the Spokane TV station. It was a really nice TV sure. station. And um, we went there. And via satellite, I watched, you know, they make them up. They mic them. I oh, watched yeah. the whole thing. And next thing I know, he's live in New York on, you know, some big, who knows, O'Reilly or whatever it was. And I'm like, well, that's cool. Yeah. You know, that's cool. I could do that. I'm like, that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. So a few years later... When there was a crash of uh, Yankees pitcher Corey Lytle, yep. um, he crashed and I was watching Fox News and they were covering it. I didn't like how Bill O'Reilly was covering it. At the time, Bill O'Reilly was the number one guy in cable news and Fox was the highest rated cable show. So O'Reilly was kind of the king of cable TV for, for a decade. I mean, really. Yeah. And maybe more. And so I emailed him. The next day, I found an email online for Bill O'Reilly, and I said, why don't you have someone on that knows how to talk about plane crashes, because you get these idiots on your show that don't know anything. And so the next day, his producer calls and says, hey, do you want to come on the show? And I said, yeah. He goes, do you want to come on tonight? I'm like, do I want to come on tonight? Right. Live in front of millions of people and spar with Bill O'Reilly? And I'm like, are you crazy? There was no there was no <laughs> vetting process, because I feel like we've, we've interviewed comedians that have been at Conan, they, like, you can... Go ahead and email Conan or Letterman and be like, "Hey, do you want a comedian on your show?" And there's a well, month you can. long, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, exactly. I, you know, can. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, like there's a month long no, I think it, process it, it was, was literally that literally night, overnight, and you were it they was that were, night. Let's go. Well, and I think part of the reason was 
Corey Ladle crashed in an airplane that I had been working for that manufacturer and was still doing some kind of freelance work for that manufacturer. So I knew all about that airplane. Just that, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. So I think that alone, you know, they could Google that and they could see all that. And so, um, and so that's that was my first time on TV, you know, on a national level was with uh, was with O'Reilly talking about uh, the Corey Lytle crash. You must be outstanding sort of as as a pilot just to, you know, just to make it as a pilot in that era and to go through all that because you, you did have shit against you at that point. You know, it's not like now where it's actually you have advantages, but whatever. Oh, I see um, what you mean. Being you know a female. I mean? Being like, a female pilot. Yes. So what do you do really well or how do you stand out? And because, you, you know, also you've achieve very quickly and you keep climbing levels really quickly so what are you just a really sharp person are you really <laughs> determined what it, like i mean what is your quality you think that's that's your uh i think aspect? it's that i get bored so easily yeah you know i get bored easily um and so you're always looking for something new to do in fact so when i started with the airlines i said i will never do this till i retire and i had a good friend there and i said shoot me if i'm ever here you know mm-hmm. uh you know, towards retirement. And, um, cause I knew there were other things I wanted to do and yeah. not that it's not a great career. It's just that it can get very repetitive. And so, um, there's some great things about the career and I encourage people all the time to get into aviation because I think it's a fantastic field. I think it's hard to be a career airline pilot because of the two things of you're gone a lot, mm-hmm. uh, with some, you know, unusual hours and, um, there's a lot of repetition, especially now that there's so little hand flying. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. like I would think of the job actually as being boring now. Yeah, there can be a lot I of boring know. parts. But yeah. I will say that learning to fly and getting to that point and doing it the first few years mm-hmm. and stuff, I mean, it was f- phenomenally fun. And I encourage people all the time, like, just take some flying lessons. You know, just take some lessons. Just solo. Yeah. Just, just solo an airplane is one of the most amazing things. And you'll it doesn't matter how long you fly, if you have a career or not, you'll never forget that solo. Yeah. So it's such a great feeling. It's actually making me somewhat like interested in it. Oh. I've never had it had any oh. interest in it. Yeah. At no, all. I, I think it'd be cool to fly, but not like not to put in all the work. Like I think it was just yeah. like here, Tevin, we're gonna give you a quick all right, yeah. let's go yeah. and fly real quick, and you guys can land it and do all the technical stuff. But I think just in the air, maneuvering yeah. it around, if I knew that there was a professional next to me that could save my mistake, like it would be cool to fly. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to go to a flight school and just tell them I want to learn to just fly. You can just take right. it. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 <laughs> right. Hey, can you guys get me into the air? And yeah. Let me no, no, no. I don't need to around. land or yeah. take that. That would be awesome. I know Kathleen Bangs, and I just want to... <laughs> But it really is, it really is fun. I mean, that, that feeling when you're first up there by your, you know, by yourself mm-hmm. and usually by the time you solo, you want to solo, like you're, you're waiting for your instructor to get out. But then there's that moment when you're up there and you've taken off and you're, you know, you're about a thousand feet. Then all of a sudden you look over and you're like, oh my God, I am alone. You know? Yeah. And so, but it's, it's a, there's just some fen- phenomenal communing with nature that you can get. Flying. I can see it being super people. Yeah. I love driving in that. Yeah. I love driving by myself for three hours. Yeah, you see amazing things, space. and I mean, um, I don't, it's yeah, it's. I encourage people. It, it it's so much fun. What are your um, What were your fears as a as a pilot? Like, I mean, if you had a nightmare about crashing or like an awful thing, what would that? Well, I think that you know, midair collision is something 
Um, Hell yeah. That's in the back of your mind because it can be so non-survivable. And an onboard fire. I was rabid about fires. And when they, um, you know, they used to love smoking on mm-hmm. planes when I started. And then they switched when I was um, flying that you couldn't smoke anymore. And so it I was just like a... just awful no. to be on planes. Oh, those poor smoke. flight attendants. Like, really? Oh, I mean, God, those poor flight attendants. But... Um, I was like a pit bull if, because we had sensors that would go off in the cockpit of somebody smoking in the bathroom. I was just like a raging maniac if these people were smoking. Yeah. In the bathroom. Because I mean, I onboard can see that. fire it's is crazy. Yeah. That's. How about the, um, like things? Um, so we had a um, air fucking. Air marshal. Air marshal in one of our best episodes. And, and I truly, I thought, like, oh, this is going to be boring as hell. He just rides around planes all day. And it was great. Uh, were there air marshals when you. We're a pilot at all? Or no, is that just well, that came, that came post 9-11, yeah. Okay, that just that at all. And, and so towards the end. And were you on any, were there any, like, I guess, like, special flights where there was anything? Where you had a like, prominent individual? Yeah, where it was something? like, this isn't just a normal commuter flight. Maybe it's somebody bought out a whole plane or it was, we have, we're transporting Famous somebody. people. Oh, yeah. yeah, we do something all the time. Like, it could be, like, a sports team. Mm-hmm. Would rent the airplane. The military would rent us a lot. Um, it could what be sports teams. Oh, I mean, just usually like college bowl teams and that okay. kind of stuff. But um, why would the military you know, rent your plane? Don't they have? Oh money? no, they don't have enough transports, so um, they would rent us all the time. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so, um, in fact, it's funny. What a funny time! I I met Prince once, and uh, what I talked to him about was that he should take one of our Sun Country jets. And lease it for a season uh, because he didn't like to fly. He really wasn't comfortable flying. And I said, if you had your own airplane, it was the same airplane every day, hometown pilots that you could know and trust. I said, I think you'd be a lot more comfortable, you know, going. How did you get into that conversation with him? Like, I mean, what was the? I was at the Pacific Club, um, and it was the late. I'm too poor 80s. to even know what the Pacific yeah, Club is. Yeah, it was a big uh, nightclub downtown that was dub- uh, oh. two levels. Okay. And it was kind of like open in the middle. So mm-hmm. you could see down to the lower level. Really big, big, mm-hmm. big club. And uh, nice club. And um, he used to hang out there sometimes. And so I went down there for my first time ever. And I was kind of hoping he would mm-hmm. show up. And we were upstairs. And all of a sudden they start playing 1999. Yeah. And everybody knows. Prince is in the yeah no, yeah. Prince is in the building. Is, is, was that his thing where he played his own music? No, no, no. no he was no. just coming as a guest. Oh, so yeah. like the DJs play. Oh, or yeah, whatever. yeah. So he's yeah. just he's just there with his entourage, and I just had a feeling he would be there, and I'd never been there, and I thought, you know, I'd love to meet Prince because I was, you know, a big fan. How could you not be mm-hmm. a fan of Prince from Minneapolis? And so he was uh, upstairs, and. He was kind of just surveying the scene. He got up from his booth. He had a lot of bodyguards. He started pointing at you. No, no. And then he was just standing there. And I thought, his high heels and I, and I thought you know what? I, I'm going to go over and say something to him. Mm-hmm. So I went over him. And I think what made the difference is I said, do you mind if I speak to you? And I think the fact that I said, do you mind if I speak to you? Mm-hmm. He was like, well, well, no. And he was wearing a head-to-toe apricot um, tailored mm-hmm. suit. A you know? women's pantsuit? Yeah, kind yep. of, yeah, and uh, it was kind of like a ruffly shirt, and kind of apricot leather shoes, and he was very soft spoken. Yeah, very soft spoken and very polite, and that's what we talked about. It was mostly just about flying, and you know, kind of that it made him so nervous. At the, and at the club, were you a pilot? Like, what did you, yeah, what did you? Because if you're at the club, 
Like you just said, hey, can I talk to you about flying? Or was it like... No, I said, hey, can I talk to you? And then we started talking and I'm not... I don't know exactly like just how transition. Yeah, yeah, you just steer yeah. to what you know. Like that's yeah. what I do. I'm a narcissist. And, uh, too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> well, I sure wasn't gonna yeah. out talk him in music. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you like? Uh, did he smile when you started talk? Like because so I worked at his house. Mm-hmm. Um, and he told oh. Gabe not to look him in the eyes. <laughs> yeah. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Oh, at Paisley Park? No, at um, this is in Los Angeles. He oh, was in L.A. That's right. That's yeah, right. and I've uh, and I've okay. I think I've told the story on here five no, times. Probably, no, but... no, tell tell the story because I love it every time. Okay, but, but I'm okay. gonna guess this was probably later, maybe in the '90s. Yeah. Oh, this was in uh, this was like 2008 oh, okay. or something like that. Oh, it was, much later. It was okay. in support or 2010 even. It was it was in support of his. So I was working in the art department on a like film shoots. And stuff like that. I was in L.A. trying to be a, a comic, but I was mostly doing heroin. And uh, and I picked up odd job at working in the art department for this guy, Rob Fox. And we got we were working his video for the song Black Sweat, which is actually a really good song. And when we pulled up to the house, he was renting this house. And I was just making jokes all the time because we knew he was renting the house. But like when you pull up, the fountain was purple. And then the oh. he had inlays in the concrete and in the marble floors it said like thirty one twenty one or what I, yeah I think that's his number he always uses and his symbol is all over we get in the elevator so he like paid to have it all decked oh, wow. out in prints in the fucking marble his he has rent. his symbols in the mar- so I kept making the joke like Prince like he's gonna lose his deposit here or whatever <laughs> you know and I was making all this shit about his damaged deposit over and over. If I was with a new person. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, truly, like, we went up in the elevator. You get in the elevator. It had purple suede, like, padding around it with his symbol in it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it was up on the, like, in the crown molding or something. Like, it was crazy it was how much was there. A, a crazy amount. Wow. And then we get there, and they tell us um, we're not supposed to make eye contact with them. I was a heroin addict, so I was a fuck up. <laughs> So I left something down at the truck, which is a long walk kind of down, and it was bad timing. So I was sent to go get the stuff from the truck, and I'm walking up with these cables or whatever. And and, uh, there's this long hallway that must be 50 yards long. And and I start walking down it, and it's like you hear all of a sudden the clip-clop, clip-clop. Like, oh, that's a woman's high-heel shoe coming towards me. I think that woman's probably 104 pounds. And then all of a sudden, it's the purple one who's down oh. at the end, and it's just me and him in the hallway, and it's a five foot wide hallway. Oh. So it's like you got to walk right by. Right. And all I'm thinking is like, you're not supposed to look him in the eyes. Right. Don't look him in the eyes. So I'm trying to look down to the right, down to the right. And then finally, last minute, I was like, I'm not going to fucking not look him in the eyes. <laughs> he's a fucking, he's another man for Christ's sake. So. And I, at the last minute, I looked up at him, and he was staring right back at me. Like, just, like, to where I did look right back down. Like, oh, no, I'm fucking fired. <laughs> it was so uncomfortable. No, I did. I mean, not by my choice, really. But so I did, I got passive, I guess. But he was the alpha in that situation. But I was, and it was cool. We got to listen to him practice. And because we're sitting there yeah. setting up while he's practicing with his female band. I said that was so weird. Like, he'd rather train hot chicks to mm-hmm. play guitar. Like, I, I don't know. Oh, Whatever. Because wow, he fucking oh, wow. shreds. Because he's already a great musician. Like, you don't need a bunch of hot chicks. Yeah, but I feel like that shows more 
as, as, complete as an artist. But it shows more of like your greatness if you can train some hot chicks to play it. Look, Kathleen's a smoke show. I'm not going to fucking teach her to write sketches for us. You know what I mean? If, like, she, it's wrote just not... if she wrote sketches. Well, we'd give her the job. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but yeah. She flies. It's just, uh, yeah, it was great. So then I, uh, when I was there, um, I started, you know, I was doing my drugs. And then we, we got we got dispatched to, like, stay after he was doing a, a Grammy party. And they asked oh. us if we wanted to work that. And I, I was... <laughs> I was as such in my life at that point that my job was to watch the dry ice <laughs> and I just had to restock it. So I covered the the uh, cooler and furniture blankets and I went and joined the party instead. <laughs> and and there was like, in fact, I came back and Jessica Elba was, was picking the furniture blankets up and reaching her hand into the cooler like as I walked up. And I go, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> and she like pulled it out and she's like, what? I mean, that's supposed to do. And I said, that's dry ice in there or something. And she goes, oh, I thought it'd be a bottle of water. And oh. I go, why would we cover up a cooler of bottles of water with furniture blankets? <laughs> but um, yeah, and I got in, a, in an oh. argument with Jude Law that I was on the right side of history. Oh, for. I love him. Jude Law oh. was hammered and rolling on uh, Molly, I think. And... And he was talking about, oh, he was at a Coldplay concert the night before. And he said, oh, I love Coldplay. They're amazing. <laughs> I go, yeah, man, I'm sorry, but Coldplay sucks. And then we, we like, got into this thing. And I was like, I don't even know their music that well, but I can, I like, I doesn't uh, pass the eye test. What a party. Yeah, it was great. And then Bruce Willis, I'll never forget that. Bruce Willis came in, and I love Bruce I Willis. I too. Love Bruce Willis. And he came in with, and I still don't know what it was. Two like twenty something, twenty two, twenty three year old like hippie kids. I mean, but they could have been nineteen, very young. Like, I mean, uh, super messy hair, like ruffled clothes, but beautiful, you know. And they were all clearly on heavy psychedelics, heavy psychedelics. And I could not understand the dynamic because I know his children because my mother gets people magazine and my wife has it sure so i just like i know scout and Tallulah, you know and like rumor. i know what they look and rumor yep and i don't even scout and Tallulah is right but whatever that and that, I, those are the names yeah yeah those I thought are so. the names. yeah i thought so and um and i was like that's not his kids and it was like i was following him around and trying to figure out like what oh. the fuck is is he fucking them like is he he watches them fuck or what, you know. I, Are they his bodyguards? Yeah. yeah. Now, I was pretty sure it was a <laughs> fucking situation. But that's what I think of most situations. But I assume wow. that. But yeah, anyway, there's a long uh Well, on my, on, my, on, on my Prince encounter, what happened then is sort of in this conversation. And then um, somebody came up from behind me and alarmed him. And I turned around to look at this person. And... When I turned back, he was gone, gone like that. And but his uh, bodyguard came over and gave me. Um, he said, "Here," he said, "to give you this," and he gave me a phone number. I knew it. No, 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 no. Okay. With a guy named Alan Leeds, and he said, "Call Alan to discuss whatever you were discussing with Prince." And so I don't know what I did, but eventually I I remember I star six seven, you know, so that it would block mm -hmm. my number. Right. You know, because I thought this is probably some, you know, BS number. Like some jerk off. Who knows like, what it goes? Talk about Prince, call yeah, me, and yeah, now call, you're in some Who knows what this thing. really is? Yeah. yeah. But I call it, and it was 
you know, you've reached a voicemail of Alan Leeds, blah, blah, blah. So then when Prince died, I was reading all these articles on him. And then I read this beautiful tribute from, it said, his longtime manager, oh, Alan wow. Leeds. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, I regret, of course, that I didn't follow up, up yeah. with Alan yeah. Leeds on that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but he was very polite. And it was... Uh, you know, whenever I see a celebrity, if I if I get a chance mm-hmm. to talk to, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll I, take I it. was gonna actually yeah. ask I'll you because you seem now you seem like that type of person. I didn't yeah. think, or I wasn't sure if yeah. you would be, but yeah. Have you ever been hit on by one? Like even like around celebrities? The yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I thought oh, so. Yeah. In fact, um, the only time I gave up an opportunity. To meet a great celebrity, and he was an idol of mine, is Harrison Ford. Oh my God! And I, I was, Harrison and Ford. honest to God, I'm not name dropping. But you then, don't love Harrison Ford? Oh, what's, what's your problem? I can't, I he's can't, fucking I, awesome, actually. Well, back in the what's, day, what's the fugitive? Well, That's the only Harrison Ford. He's oh, awesome. Han Solo. Oh, yeah. You know, so back in the day, I was madly in love with Han Solo. First time I saw Star Wars, and uh, Harrison Ford was Han Solo. Are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? How young are you? <laughs> Dude, he's so that. young. I've never seen a Star Wars. Oh my god, he's serious. He's serious. Oh my god. No, like I, you could have. We had the. Rep. He was he was no. Han Solo in the first three. He invented Han when Solo. When I think of when I think of Harrison oh, no. Ford, I picture like a fifty-five year old. Oh, oh no, no, he was hot. In fact, you should like he's him because guess fifty-five. You know what? You should like him because guess where he's from? Your home state, Wisconsin. He is. Well, I don't know if he's. From, I should say he's from there. He. I shouldn't say he's not from there. He went to college there. He was a dropout from. I think Where? is there a college there in Ripon? Something. Ripon. 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 Yeah. 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 yeah I think that Harrison Ford did time there, like hmm. as a year. Like it was a, like an institute, <laughs> like. I think he went to college. I think he went to college there for a year. I have to check my facts, but I think so. So I had a mad crush on him, and honestly, I'm not name dropping, but one evening. I I got to um to go meet Jimmy Buffett. Um, what? Yeah, in Il- in Illinois. And uh you fucked Jimmy <clears throat> Buffett. No, 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 I'm, no, joking, no, I'm, no, joking, no I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. He's a very we'll polite, very polite man. And Jimmy Buffett said to me, um, so who else would you like to get for this project you're working on? And I said, Well, Dream would be director Sidney Pollock and actor Harrison Ford. And Jimmy Buffett starts laughing. And I said, What? He goes, You're never gonna believe this. Last night I had dinner with director Sidney Pollock and Harrison Ford. And all we did was talk flying. To give you a, he said something about how much we bored our wives. That's all we talked about. Because they're all three pilots. Okay. Jimmy Buffett's a pilot. Director uh, Sidney Pollock was a, he mm-hmm. did like out of Africa. And Harrison Ford, very accomplished He's crashed pilot. on a golf course. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, like I covered that for Fox News. Yeah. So he, um, and so I said to Jimmy, I go, well, that'd be great. And the next morning I get on a flight to New York City. I'm staying at the plaza in Manhattan. And later in the afternoon, I'm like in, my, in the lobby and I'm going back to my room. And as I'm waiting for the elevator doors to open, they open and who comes walking? I mean, the very next life. day, Harrison Ford. And it's the one time I didn't say something to a celebrity because you even hit a, a, he had someone with him in a suit. And they were having a very serious conversation. Mm-hmm. So it looked like he's in New York. He probably doesn't want to be there. It's probably yeah. agent mm-hmm. negotiations, you know, and I didn't say anything. But uh, what a coincidence that Jimmy, like, yeah. just the night before. So that was kind of, that was kind of cool. Are you, like, so how many bags of money have you found in your life? <laughs> <laughs> you it's seem funny. like this. Okay, it's so oh, funny gosh. you say that because, yes. my, no, it's funny you say that because my daughter always teases me because her whole life, whenever we see anything on the road, 
I always say we have to stop, and we do all the time, because I always say it could be a bag of money, and it never has been. No. Damn, it never has been. Not yet. What, what, Not yet. Um, Fingers crossed. So of the stuff that you investigated, and you sent me a couple to look at, and uh, and I and I actually knew uh, the first one you sent was Eastern Airlines Flight 401. Right. No. Yeah. So my interest in 401 is, and I was really young, I love, you know, when that um, happened, but- that is probably what got my interest in analyzing and writing about aircraft accidents, which then got me into being an uh, on-air analyst with Fox. Because that crash at the time was so interesting because they made a TV movie about it and a best-selling yes. book came out because, uh, according to the author, even pilots and flight attendants at Eastern were seeing the ghost of dead crew members, especially on airplanes that used parts supposedly yes, from that wreck yeah. now all of this is highly speculative highly speculative but in the mind you know myself in junior high or whatever it was fascinating and that really got me interested and then when i learned about the actual accident that itself um was interesting because the pilots didn't know that the autopilot had disconnected they were in a holding pattern out over the everglades outside of miami trying to fix a very minor little problem and as they were in a holding pattern, one of them bumped the control wheel, which disconnected the autopilot, and they didn't know it. And over the Everglades, it's pitch black, there's no light, and the plane just slowly started descending. And they were only a couple thousand feet in the air. But and they weren't hearing some alarm, right? No alarm They're until they were about 100 feet, and they found this on the voice recorder. At about 100 feet, one of the pilots says to the other, hey, we're at 2,000, right? Like, he can't believe his eyes. And the other one kind of says something, and then they just hit the they hit the Everglades. So it was an wow. interesting accident, and it um, it changed some stuff in aviation. You know, like from that point on, they put warning lights on when the autopilot would disconnect and that sort of thing. So, but it was an interesting accident because of the uh, you know the whole ghost aspect. Yeah. Uh, yeah oh, just cool. just even so, I listened to well. Actually, I think it was the TV movie, but they used because yeah. they had the dialogue from the black box or something. Yeah. So it was accurate. And just yeah. just hearing the things to think of their loved ones or whatever. And he's just going, just leave the goddamn thing there. It's a $2 piece. Or, you know, yeah. like yeah. I, I can't remember what it was. But it was just, I don't know, uh, plane crash stuff. I once, I did a YouTube video hole where I got down where it was pilots like last words. Or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, and that's hearing true. all that stuff and thinking of the shit you'd say and just like, just having them go, well, Bob, we're done for. <laughs> like, and they're still in their pilot voice, but they're dying. Like, yeah. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's very, you know, it's, I think it's everyone's one of their biggest fears. So, I mean, well, it's, it's such very, a weird. There's a poignancy to it mm-hmm. and that, that I, that I love. And there's like, um, there's a famous crash in California, I think it was Pacific Southwest Airlines, where they knew they were crashing. They'd had a midair with a, like a little Cessna or something. And there's, um, as they're going down, the last words of the pilot were, I love you, mom. And so, like, it's very poignant yes. what they say sometimes. What did you ever have that thought? So my biggest fear one, and we talked about it on the phone just a little bit, but for some reason this stuck with me and I should should have looked it up to see if my memory is accurate at all, but... It was the Aloha or uh, Hawaii mm. Airlines, whatever, where the fuselage opened yeah. up. And I don't know why it opened up. Well, well there's two. 
Okay. There's two. I think you're thinking of uh, Aloha slash Hawaiian Airlines had a 737 where the top of the fuselage came off, yes. sucked the flight like, attendant out. And, and like four rows of seats. No, no, that's the one you're thinking. Because okay. um, uh, I heard you on with the air marshal. I listened yeah. to that. The one where a bunch of rows of seats got sucked out, that was a giant hole in the side of a 747. That yes. was United Airlines. Oh, okay. So both I'm over the Pacific. Yeah, yeah. Both within a couple of years of each other. And yeah, so the one the top came off, and it, dramatic photos of that when they land, it looks like a convertible. Yes, and the flight attendant just got pulled out, and then the other one, a few oh rows, a few rows went out of that United Airlines. Yeah, one. and and that's um, and those and then, are corrosion. Let's just say corrosion. Um, those are life cycles. Well, and and influenced by corrosion because they're flying those Pacific routes a lot, salt water. It's, you know, in the air and, um, they're doing a lot of cycles. So like that one seven thirty seven where the top came off, mm -hmm. uh, when you fly an airplane over and over and over, um, it's like a balloon that you keep inflating and deflating because mm -hmm. you keep pressurizing it, depressurizing, pressurizing. Each time you do that, it weakens it a little bit. Okay. And so that's the stress that caused those ruptures of the hull. And then what, what I remember from this like history channel, uh, discovery channel thing. So is that when they talked about the guy. Um, die, their son dying. It was two parents, and they said, and of course they're talking like parents who've lost a child. It's the worst. Right. Now I can cry about that whenever I want. But I'm just thinking. They said, uh, "Well, our hope is that he got sucked into the engine because then it would be an instant mm -hmm. death. But otherwise, he would have had a four minute free fall to the to the ocean or whatever." Yeah, I think you've got that free fall. Okay, what's yeah. that free fall? Yeah, because if you recall, you know everybody knows the Malis the missing Malaysian airliner from mm -hmm. four years yes. ago. But right after that, which I mean, it's it defies belief that just a few months later, the same airline had an airliner shot down over Ukraine by the Russians. Yes, and when that one was shot down, um, it's so interesting that it was raining bodies into the Ukraine, and that all sorts of villagers. I mean, there's the most haunting photos found bodies on their roofs, in their homes that came through the roof and out in the fields. And some of the bodies, if they were still in the seats, had their clothes on. If they didn't, the bodies were almost naked because just the, the sheer force of the wind just blew their clothes off. What? And so you can imagine you're some peasant villager in Ukraine. I shouldn't say peasant villager, but that's how naked we imagine it here. And someone's just falling. It's you find raining. a dead body in your farmhouse. And that's what happened with that accident. So those people It's raining men. Hard to know if not they were, Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hard to know if they were alive or not because the air is so thin where they would have been, you know the air is so thin when they would have come out of the airplane. So they probably would Do you have think passed they out. Instinctually would hold their breath out at all or no, instinctually no. gas. No, you can't. You just it when you are depressurized like that, so the hard. force just sucks yeah. the air out of your lungs. So probably they went unconscious for that. As the air got thicker did they regain consciousness oh, as they were fuck. falling? Who knows? But there would be nothing more terrifying. Yeah, more, more one of the worst deaths. You passing out just to wake up. Yes, like, to see, yeah. like three seconds before you hit the ground. You want to hear something amazing? Is there was a crash in the jungle? I think it was in Brazil um, back in the '60s, and and it erupted a fuel tank or something, and it came apart in in the air, and pieces of it fell to the ground in the jungle. And initially, a number of people lived that fell in their seats into the canopy of the yeah. jungle. But the only one that survived um, enough to crawl out of there was this one 
young teenage girl. I mean, she was like 14 because the rest are too injured, so they all end up dying. She's 14, and you should read her description of literally an airplane coming apart in the air. She falls into the jungle. She wakes up alive, and she eventually, she remembers her dad telling her, if you're ever lost in the woods, follow a river. She does, and she eventually survives. I think she's still alive to this day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... You should do. You should do like a History Channel show. Like it's amazing. Uh, it was a. Oh, was it a Lockheed airplane or something? And they think that lightning hit it. Crash. That like I mean yeah. for real. That is fascinating. Yeah, and to hear their, I mean, oh man. And actually, we will post those on the show page yeah. too. Like when we find that stuff for sure. What. Um, and then Malaysian Airlines, just to get back. Well, that's to that. the big. That's the Mac Daddy of all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I because mean, because that one has supplanted uh, or surpassed um, the Amelia Earhart thing. Now, I mean, everybody in the world. I think the same reason Amelia did. I think there's something about being lost over the sea, over the ocean, you know, the last frontier on Earth. That that is yeah. really. I think the only thing that can ever equal that in the future would be like a spaceship somehow just. You know, getting out of yeah, orbit and of getting course. lost, but that one—that oh, um, accident really gripped, um, you know, America by storm. And the funny thing is, is it really gave me, um, you know, a great opportunity uh, with Fox News. But I initially didn't want to do it. In fact, the first couple of days they called, I kept making up excuses. Uh, I was out of town at the time about why I couldn't do it mm-hmm. um, because I thought, oh, you know, they had. Do you they, get that kind of anxiety? Well, then? because like, they, I do that. Well, they're like, you know, they don't know where the plane is. Mm-hmm. It's some Indonesian carrier I've never heard of. Um, this thing sounds so sketchy to begin with. Who knows? And so I thought, you know, what am I going to say? And then the thing just exploded in popularity. So I called him back when well, I got back to Minneapolis you know, this is popular. after a couple no, days. No, yeah, I said, you know, this is going to be yeah. a And I said, I tell you what, I really want to do it, but I don't want to do it remote. I usually do the segments remote from Minneapolis up mm-hmm. until that time where you go, um, like to WCCO here has that studio. And I'll do it there. If I'm on the road somewhere, we might do it from a, like I did one in, um, in Washington State last year. Um, but I said, I really want to do it in studio. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, fine, we'll fly to New York. We'll put you up. We'll do this. And uh, um, and so that's what I did for like two weeks. And, you know, you're on multiple times a day. And it's just surrealistic because yeah. I'd never seen an operation like that. And oddly enough, uh, I'd been to the building before they're in on Avenue of the Americas. But it was just so interesting to see how they do it. And so you're doing Sean Hannity one day, you know, his show. And then the next day you might be doing, you know, um, Megan Kelly, you know, who yeah. was huge then. And then the yeah. next day it's the weekend and you're with Geraldo Rivera and then you're on the daytime show. He actually and... be cool in person. Geraldo. Yeah. Well, no? he, he had the flu okay. when I met him. Yeah. When I did his show, he was pretty sick, but, um, probably, you know, and it's strange because, you know, my politics don't align that yeah, <laughs> yeah. closely with theirs. Uh, but they're all very nice. I mean, Megan Kelly, you know, who was very intimidating because she's an attorney. She's and extremely smart. She was the highest rated show behind O'Reilly, almost neck and neck with him then. And, and let's uh, face it, attractive female. Very attractive. Uh, like very intelligent smart. female, you know, versus, yeah, they yeah. don't usually get along famously. Yeah, anyway. but she yeah. was great. And, uh, you know, Bill O'Reilly was great. Uh, Sean Hannity. Um, I was very nervous when I got there because I'd never been in studio before. Mm-hmm. So you don't know, like, where do you look? Because they've got all these right? cameras. Well, camera, do I look at the camera? Do I look at Sean? You know, so the first time I'm like, you know, Huge I'm all over the place. Yeah. It's actually. You don't know what to do. 
And you walk into the studio, and uh, as I'm approaching the desk, this, you know, you're kind of up on this elevated stage set that they have. Mm-hmm. And there's Sean Hannity. You know, I've only seen him on TV for yeah. like 20 years. And he yells to me, and he goes, Kathleen, are you a biker? And I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> and he goes, your boots. Because I was wearing these Tory Burch kind of semi-biker boots. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh. So then we started talking about motorcycles. And then he's tossing you a football. He's always got this football and stuff. So then he kind of gets you to relax. Oh, that's awesome, bit, actually. Yeah. Kind of gets you to relax. I'm shocked, actually. Well, I, I thought so, too. And, I'm shocked. Because you don't know, like, where do you look? What do you do? And, um, you I mean, know, that, so he could have been nicer. Right. No, no, he was very nice. He's smaller in person than mm-hmm. you'd think, like most, you know, stars. Like right. Megan Kelly was mm-hmm. just, you know, she was like a straw. She yeah. was so thin. But they were all very nice. And it was a great gig because they, uh, um, you know, they put you up. They take care of you. Um, even when you do it locally. You know, it's wonderful. They always send a limo to pick you up wherever you are. And then they have a hair and makeup person. And they, they take really good care of you. And uh, so even though you get paid? I mean, like not you. How much does the average like pundit like that for appearance? Like, how does it work? How do you oh. know what to even ask? Oh. You know what I mean? Well, some people, and sometimes you don't. Like, sometimes you get paid. Sometimes you don't. So it okay. all depends on if you are like a Fox analyst, which I was, like for Image three seventy, or if you're just coming on there, you know, uh, randomly. Right. Um. Everybody negotiates it separately. Okay. Nobody says what it is. Sometimes you have a contract. Sometimes okay. you don't. So. How do you know what, like, you know, I mean, as someone who is a dilettante really to this, like, I mean, how do you know what to ask or what to think? Or were you just kind of going, hey, it's fun for me to be here. It's good for my career. Well, yeah, I I didn't ask. They said, here's the amount, um, if you'll come and stay in New York and here's the the contract, will you take it? And I was like, oh, yeah. And then they put you up in a fabulous hotel and you're like a block from the studio. And yeah, it was... uh, it was very nice. And they've and then always been very nice since then. I mean, when I did Jesse Waters, he took over, I can't remember, you know, I think he took over for Bill maybe because he'd gotten his start on Bill's show. So Jesse Waters has a show now on there. And so last year they wanted me to come on to talk about that unruly, quote unquote, doctor passenger that kind of, kind of roughed yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. So I said at the time, I'm like, well, I'm nowhere near a studio. They go, where's the nearest studio? So they, they looked it up and they said, wow, the nearest studio that we can actually get is in Spokane, Washington. And it's going to be like a six to seven hour round trip limo ride to do that show. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, it's going to be nightmare. So the first couple of days I said, no, same thing. Mm-hmm. Then that story got big and I'm like, you know yeah. what? I think I'll do it. So you know, but they'll they'll pay someone and they'll hire someone to come get you no matter where you are and take you to a studio and hmm. and take care of you. So it's yeah. It's I mean, a that's good what gig. they're doing up there right now. They're doing yeah. a remote up there. But let me tell you, it's a crazy gig. I mean, you will study sometimes, like on that MH three seventy thing. You're constantly studying round the clock, round the clock. What's the latest news? What's happening? What's mm-hmm. going on? And you get on your segment, and you might end up with you know on a panel, and you might get three questions. Right? Yeah. So and. It's, and it's high pressure. Right. And they don't usually go by what – in other words, they'll say, tell us what you're going to talk about, and then you'll send them your talking points ahead of time. And most mm-hmm. times – I mean, quite a bit. That's just because throwing out the – Of course. Window. You don't right. know. In fact, I once said to Sean Hannity when I was going on, he had a general that was going to be on. And the general was going to tell him when MH370 was in one of those stand countries, you know, like Afghanistan mm-hmm. or one of those – Kazakhstan. And it was in a hangar somewhere. And they were holding all the people hostage. Yeah. And he I had remember this, that theory. Yeah. He had like this one-star general that was going to say all this. And I looked at him, I said, Sean, do not even ask me that. That is just so 
ridiculous. And sure enough, we sit down, you know, they have the big booming music, da 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 and they go, Kathleen, what do you think about it? And the first thing Kathleen, he leads off with that. in a hanger in him. What do you think? <laughs> it's in one first, of those stand countries. It's, it's the first thing he leads with, and he's so serious as he says it. And so in your mind, as you're pausing to answer, you could swear like 10 minutes have passed. Oh, then yeah. Then you watch the tape and you're like, it's like three seconds. Because you're, one, I'm so upset now. And mm-hmm. two, I'm like, oh, what am I going to say to this? You know, because yeah. I think it's ludicrous. Yes. You know, it's, but how can I say your other guest is a nut job? You know, mm-hmm. how do you say that? Yeah. Especially yeah. 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 Your other guest is a nut job. <laughs> I don't know. I think that guy's got mental problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see it happening, Sean. There's a lot of radar. There's a lot of radar that you'd be flying by, Sean. You know, like that's, someone would have caught that probably. What what is I mean is that possible for planes to disappear? So actually, what did happen as far as you know, and what was your gut when it happened? Well, my gut is still the same as what it is today. So even after all the evidence that we have, which is we do have pieces of that airplane that have washed up in various points along the Indian Ocean, so they've matched the serial numbers, so they know that they have the pieces from this triple seven. What I thought at the time is still what I believe. I think that the crew. Uh, was not overcome by terrorists. I don't think that the crew was suicidal. I don't think that the crew uh, was involved in this. I believe that probably something in the forward cargo compartment ignited perhaps batteries, uh, perhaps a component on the airplane. Yeah, something, who knows. And I think that that put out a toxic gas or created enough of a fire that it deoxygenated the cockpit, and I think the pilots um, passed out, and I think that the airplane did what it was supposed to do. It mm-hmm. just kept flying until it ran out of gas, and then it crashed in the ocean. The other reason, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that is they made a 180-degree turn right, um, you know, bef- as all this is happening. So they're flying north, <clears throat> and then all of a sudden they make a 180-degree turn. To the left side, which is the captain's side. Anytime you have an emergency and you decide you're going to land quickly or you're going to return to the field, one of those situations you would do that and it would be any kind of smoke or a lack of oxygen or any kind of fumes in the cabin. And, and you would make a, probably a left turn because the captain's going to make that decision and he's probably going to take over and he's going to turn. So I believe that they were actually headed back mm-hmm. and then either they were overcome or if there was some kind of fire. And a fire can contain itself. You know, it can happen, and then it can contain itself. So it could have... Um, how would it How would it contain itself? What do you mean by that? Well, I mean... Or burn itself yeah, out? Yeah, it could burn itself out. It could burn out all the oxygen. Mm-hmm. Um, there could have been um, extinguishers that extinguish it. So either they lost radio communications, you know, from some kind of fire, or there was something, I believe, that they lost. Um, again, you know, they went unconscious. Now... It doesn't necessarily have to be that scenario. There was a triple seven, uh, no, the same airplane that, uh, that they lost in MH370, the, the missing Malaysian airliner that was at the gate once on the ground um, in Cairo, Egypt, I believe. And the co-pilot's oxygen system actually started on fire at the gate. And within seconds, there was like a, a gaping 10-foot hole where the co-pilot would be sitting, like on that side of the airplane. So if, for instance, something like that had happened, mm-hmm. um, again, right, you would have lost all oxygen, um, and I just think the pilots would have passed out. And people say, well, they could have put their masks on. Well, if it happens fast enough, they wouldn't even get their mask on. But 
So it could have been fumes. It could have been a lack of oxygen. I believe that it became what we call a ghost ship. So nobody intentionally did this. They passed out right. and the airplane just kept flying. Now, people say, well, how can that be? It actually happened not too many years ago on an airline called Helios Airways. But no one ever heard of it because it was a small airline based in uh, Cyprus. Okay. They were flying to Prague via Athens. They took off. They had a known pressurization problem. They'd known about it for days. That crew knew about it. We don't – I don't understand knowing about it, how this happened. Mm-hmm. But they continued to climb up to altitude, you know, say like 35,000 feet with no pressurization. So they didn't lose pressurization. They never they had they pressure. They never had it? And they kept well, climbing. I mean, you have a warning horn. Right. And it's going beep, 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 you know. So they kept flying um, until they passed out. The pilots you passed out. Yeah, well, you get hypoxic. Uh, like, what is it? Like, my, uh, yeah, hypoxia. hypoxia. And when yeah. you get hypoxia, um, if you let it go long enough, you, you'll kind of get this feeling of euphoria. And so the problem is once you get the euphoric stage, I've been in a decompression chamber, an altitude chamber. They have one up in uh, North Dakota. Yeah. And I got the feeling of impending doom thing right away and okay. just put my mask on because they say, see how long you can go. But if you go long enough, you know, you'll get, uh, you know, euphoria and then eventually you'll pass out. But how they know what happened is they scrambled fighter jets to go up and see what the heck's happening? We lost contact with this jet. What's happening? And what the fighter jets reported is, well, we see pilots slumped over in the cockpit. Yeah. We see a rub- what they call the rubber jungle, all the oxygen mass dangling in the cabin. But then when they, you know, they were following it for a few minutes, they saw a person come up into the cockpit. Initially, they thought it was a terrorist. Then they realized it was a uniformed crew member who then tried to pull the captain out of his seat to get into his seat to fly the airplane. And he was carrying supplemental oxygen because flight attendants have bottles in the cabin that they can move around with them, oxygen bottles. They call it supplemental oxygen that they can carry with them. Turns out that male flight attendant had actually trained and had his pilot's license. So he was going to try to get into the seat and figure out how to work the radios and kind of get talked down to land the 737, which everybody else is completely passed out. And unfortunately, right about the time he gets in the seat, he ran out of gas. No way. And then he didn't know what to do, and it just crashed in the mountains. But so that is exactly – Oh, my God. So, what a nightmare. Yeah, so when people say it couldn't have happened with the missing Malaysian airliner, well, it's already happened. Sorry, yeah. yeah. it's already yeah. happened. And in fact, um, people talk – like even Sean Hannity a lot in the show would say, you know, he'd argue with me to say, well, Kathleen, you know, airliners just don't disappear. They just don't disappear. And I say, Sean – I mean, like Northwest Airlines, people forget this. Northwest Airlines back, not sure when it was. At the latest, it was in the 60s, but it could have been like the 50s. Um, had an airline at night flying through some thunderstorms across Lake Michigan. It vanished. It just vanished into Lake Michigan. And it wasn't like a huge deal that, you know, right. the public didn't go crazy. Well, we assumed it crashed. It was bad weather. We never heard from them again. Uh, they never found the wreckage. They never did much of a search for the wreckage. Some bodies washed up on shore. So stuff like this happened. Back when people were more expendable. Yeah. Right. You, know? like, uh, <laughs> you win some, you lose yeah. some. <laughs> we got more coming. Yeah. We'll, we'll fight. But now it's morning. like there's such outrage. I mean, we haven't had a crash. 2017 was the safest year in aviation history. And we've had exponentially more people flying, exponentially more airliners up there. It's almost... I mean, I'm like the Maytag repairman. Mm-hmm. There's so few accidents for me to even go talk about because we haven't had a fatal crash in the U.S. of a U.S. airliner 
since Colgan Airways in Buffalo, New York in 2009. It's been almost well, You just a fucking jinxed decade. that one, yeah. Kathleen. You just got yourself some work. Well, I mean, it used to be like even in the 80s. In the 80s, you could easily have two or three fatal crashes a year. On really? U.S. Okay. Airlines, yeah. yeah. And people, I mean, it was just accepted it. Are there any conditions that you would not, like as a passenger, so for people listening to this, where where like you go, okay, if if this increases your odds of crashing, this is the thing, like you know, deeply cold weather or uh, or thunderstorms, whatever. Like, is there one thing where you go, eh, maybe maybe that flight I wouldn't get on? Well, I mean, I'm still careful. Like, if I have to fly on like a small regional, like your propeller airplane or mm-hmm. something, you know, I'll always try to go daytime, uh, especially if it's in an area with terrain. You know. Okay. Um. Definitely, I'll try to go on a visual flight. Um, That's interesting. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I, I really never would think of that. Yeah. Really, yeah. I guess. And uh, I, I go crazy like when I watch passengers like they're asleep on takeoff, or they have their I window try, shades do down on yeah. takeoff. So if we went off the runway, they won't be able to see. They won't see it coming. They wouldn't see if there's a fire out I there. I do that. No, I mean, it drives me crazy. I was just on a flight last week back from Seattle, and the guy's got the shade closed. I'm in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then he's on his computer during takeoff, and it just it just enrages me because you, know? it, you you think if if the worst happens, you got to be alert and ready. Yeah, essentially, you, you have to be ready to bolt out of that airplane if something yeah. happens. And, and probably it's never going to. But I just think you're kind of like you know tempting fate. Not at least I it, think people should count the the rows from themselves to the exit. You know, so count the seat rows because in the smoke you're not going to be able to yeah. see. So you have to count rows. Don't go down the aisle. Go over the seats. Because everybody else will be trying to get down the aisle. I love it. Go over the seats. Swim over the seats. Oh, you just blew my mind. That's a that's good tip. Yeah. And then know is there an exit behind you? You know, the overwing, which is close to you, the front one. Try to figure out a couple different exits. Look at the doors. How do you open them? Do the handles go up? Do the handles go down? Do you turn the handle sideways? So always be imagining in the dark, in the smoke, in the flames. How am I getting to an exit? What's the safest place to sit? In In the back. Oh, really? Yeah, in the back. Okay. Yeah. It's just like statistically, that's where more. I mean, there have been people, oddly enough, that have sat right behind the cockpit and survived. Mm-hmm. Um, but statistically, yeah. The first class. I like it. That first yeah. class gets ghosted. First the class yeah. is the first to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think people should, you know, know where the exits are. Uh, have that seatbelt really tight However, for takeoff. Have your legs back because most people, if they survive, like say you just have a simple accident where you run off the runway. Um, you know, some strong winds or something happens. You blow a tire, you go off the runway. Survivable. Blowing a tire on yeah, something yeah. like that. But you don't want to have your legs broken and not be able to get yourself off the airplane. So you know, kind of having your legs back, you know, like against the back, seat, like like curled under you, under the your seat. seat kind of? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you say count the like. It all sounds great. Count the exit. Like count the number of rows. Do the handles go up? Do the handles Shit, go down? Yeah, it does happen though. You however, feel like. however. 90% of the people on a plane, if it goes down, they don't have the calm and the resolve to... Right. That's why we survive with this info. Yeah. Well, you right, think but that... No, but... Like, we can give the, everybody this info. We can we can walk everybody through here when we... If, we, if we crash, else. like, this is what is going on. Most people are just going to freak out, go down the exit row, and stumble around trying to find the door, and then they all drown into the seat. Yeah. And that's why we'll be living going over the seats. You know, it's funny. I was in a mock-up once. We took, we took a DC-10. 
and some some agencies i don't know who it was like fbi i don't know what it was but we did this big mock terrorism drill and so they filled like a dc-10 with like hundreds of you know passengers and we had actors and we were on there as crew members and then they had like bad guys come on mm -hmm. and it was kind of this drill to share it was going to be like and the bad guys would be yelling at you and they'd be giving you like um opposing commands you know, like stand up sit down stand up to do this this and they were kind of there like to abuse you and kind of just to kind of give you the feeling of like if you were mm -hmm. commandeered and it was funny that even in that staged event there were people that freaked out and had to get off the plane really yeah. really even in a staged event yeah Jesus. And and now, what are the years that you flew the most or, you know? I like probably the flew the most in the 90s. Okay. Yeah. And okay. then Because then I started instructing um, right before 2000. I switched over to okay. instructing, which means you go on the simulators and you teach the pilots in the simulators and then you give check rides to the line pilots from the airline in the simulators. Do you have a quality as a pilot that, you know, like, okay, uh, for playing baseball or whatever, I was a good pitcher. You know, is there something, an aspect of flying that you were good at? That, oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that you yeah, consider? Yeah, yeah, I, I would, yeah, uh, crosswind landings. Okay. Yeah, and I credit that to um, training in North Dakota. The, uh, it was yeah. tra training in North Dakota all those years because... Oh, so windy in yeah, North Dakota. Yeah, it was. And there was times flying little planes. We'd be out there 40, 50 even 55 mile an hour winds and little planes. And so it was interesting when I got into training at the airline, how many pilots um, were nervous about crosswinds and hadn't had a lot of experience with them. And especially in those big jets, you get those big drooping wings that when yeah. you come into land, you, you can't roll much either direction landing, you can drag a wingtip. And uh, yeah. so it terrifying. used to be fun for me in the simulator, my favorite thing to do. Uh, when I get like, especially like get these cocky pilots in there mm -hmm. and uh, I'd crank up the winds. And now the book said that these jets could only land in a direct, I think it was like a 29 knot crosswind, but that's direct. That's 90 degrees off the wing. Usually crosswind's going to be not at exactly an or, at yeah. an angle. So you might be able to go up to 40. So I crank those winds up to like 40 or 45. And then the first thing they'd say to me is, oh, Kathleen, 29 is the limit. And I'd say, well, you know, go tell that to the weather because, yeah. you, you know, what are you going to do if you have to land somewhere? You're running out of gas and the wind is 45. So I cranked that window. And then invariably, a lot of them would crash, which was great, you know. Mm -hmm. And when you crash in the sim, if you hit hard enough in the simulator, it just freezes your position. Like it just stops abruptly, uh -huh. like game over, game over, flashing. And then you know it. And then it shows you on this computer the side load you've imposed on the landing gear, you know, before you collapse them. So then they'd turn around and they'd say, see, you can't do it. You can't do it. And then I'd always say, oh, hold on. But I'd, I'd be wearing high heels. And so I'd always say, oh. I'll see if I can do it in these high heels, if I can even get into the seat. And then I'd make, you know, I'd get out of the seat. And you'd have the uh, the computer set up that so, even though you're instructing from the pilot seat, you can hit a button and you can, like, launch the flight. And I'd say, oh, get let me up there. You know, and then, of course, you'd do it. And then, of course, you, you got to do it because if you don't do it. Oh, yeah. Then, then, yeah. 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 yeah, so you got to do it. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Did you ever have uh, just a scary land or, like, did you ever land a plane that you felt like you wanted to apologize to the passengers, like on the way out? Like, sorry, okay, no. yeah. yeah, yeah. Once, once in Michigan, some place never been there before. That's my excuse. Little tiny airport called Pelston, Michigan. We were going on some charter there in a big Boeing jet, 
and it was raining, so we didn't have good visibility uh-huh. coming into land, trying to do visual landing. And I hit so hard um, that uh, the flight attendants, when I, <laughs> when I came out of the cockpit, they all had their pantyhose down around their ankles ah. to show like, that I hit so hard and made their pantyhose fall off. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, kind of hot in a weird way, too. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I feel like I just, I just flew the flight so well, they were just ready to go. Right? Yeah, yeah, they were just hot and bothered. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, that meant a, that meant a hard landing. Like, yeah. That's hard hilarious. Landing, yeah. What? what so, landing. and I've had this also landing, and I try to now, I'm ready for it, but I always feel like the ground, like it looks like we're closer to the ground than what we probably mm-hmm. are. You know, like where it looks like I'm like, oh, like the wheels must be just about mm-hmm. to touch. We're still probably 40 feet in the air for all I know. Is that a weird depth perception thing from no. the cockpit? Not no, at all. You actually, you actually have a cushion of air. So when you come in to land, it does always look that way. Like we're going to touch. Oh, but we're not going to touch. And then you seem to hover. And that's because of a thing called ground effect. So when the air is rushing over the wing, um, there's air that gets... Basically, how can I explain? It's kind of just gets pushed under the wing. Okay. They just call it ground effect, and yeah. so it, you can think of it as kind of like cushion of air. So when you come into land, and it's usually about a half of a wing width. So if you had an airplane with like a, a hundred foot wingspan, mm-hmm. you could get ground effect like that last fifty feet. So when you come into land, you do get this like kind of extra little bit of lift. Okay. And pilots use that, and then they kind of stop their descent, bring the power back, and then just touch down. Yeah. And then birds. How big oh, of a fact? Sully. Sully. Yeah, birds. Sully. Okay, and now you want to bring that up. Sully, yeah. like, Sully. could you have landed that plane? Well, here's, well, okay, here's what I'll commend. He shouldn't have landed, right? Here's what I'll commend Sully on, that he made the decision to land in the river. I think most pilots, I mean, my God. You tried to go. Be, you try to land in an airport because you just think, oh, my God, what if I'm wrong? What, mm-hmm. You know, what if we get the engine started or something? I mean, to land in that river, to make the decision yes. uh, was brave. Um. But could you have, if you were behind and you made that decision, she could you have gone. landed in the river? She would not. He went against protocol, sort of, right? Well, like, no. I mean, he did the right thing. Because, still took talent. Right, when they, you, are you a more talented pilot than you? <laughs> of course she is. No, 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 no. I think he made the right decision. And uh, I don't think he could have stretched it to the airport. He made the right decision to do that. But I do think the media, and I think most pilots think this. I think yeah. they think that they all went crazy. You know, heroics, heroics. It's never heroics mm-hmm. when you save the plane because you're saving yourself. When you're, you're surviving. Right, you're yeah. a hero when you're a fireman and you run into a burning yeah. building to save yeah. someone else. You're saving yourself as a pilot. So the hero thing, a lot of pilots just kind of gag on that. But uh, no, he did a, a fine job. And I think that most you know pilots would have recognized, okay, I can't get to the airport. We've hit a bunch of birds. I can't get the engines restarted. Where uh-huh. are we going to land? We're going to land on this big runway called the, the Hudson River. Yeah. And then, so yes, you could have done that. Well, no, I think I think most pilots could have done that. It's okay. not that really? hard. I mean, there's, really? yeah, it's not even like it's. I mean, I was seaplane pilot, so I have a lot of seaplane time also. So yeah, but there's no uh, little boat things on it. Little what? Oh, the, the oh yeah, pontoons. Yeah, yeah pontoons. Yeah. But no, I think most pilots would have done the same thing and done a done a good job. Do you um, when you're like if your engine stops on a commercial flight and you're at thirty two thousand feet? Can you glide that? Like, how far can you yeah. glide to the ground safely? If you were 32,000 feet, you could glide, depending on the wind, uh, 96 miles at least. Okay. Yeah, about three. And, three la- one. and landing is yeah. not just god-awful in that situation? I mean, it must be pretty bad. Well, the hard part would be trying to maneuver it right at the end mm-hmm. to get to the it's runway no so that you're yeah. not 
too high. You're like, oh, I made it to the airport, but now I'm way too high to land. Uh-oh. Oh, fuck. And, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my but God. But believe it or not, there was a Boeing 757 that in Canada um, lost both engines. They ran out of fuel because there's a difference in Canada between, you know, we do gasoline here in pounds. Metric versus. Yeah. Oh, oh God, really? Yeah. I was saying that and as there a was joke. This, there was this whole big confusion when they gassed it up there and then they had different indications. Okay, give me 32. So they end up <laughs> running this relatively <laughs> new 757-767 out of gas and um, – they had they were a glider and they were on the radio saying we got to land somewhere where is there an airport and it turned out there was an airport called Gimli that but it was a closed airport and it was now turned into a race you know raceway and they were doing drag races that day and there were people and dragsters on the runway well here's this big Boeing coming in but remember there's no engines running so nobody hears Silence. it and all oh. of a sudden people turn around because there's like this shadow coming and there's this massive Boeing. Totally silent, coming in and landing, and they actually made a safe landing. Yeah. Well, when you say they made an error in the amount of gas put in, mm-hmm. I feel like if we know that our flight is a thousand miles, I'm not putting a thousand miles of worth of gas in. I'm putting like they do. Some, they have right. to. But what happened was it was um, yeah, but still, like you don't yeah. put some extra gas in here, so well, you don't no, make it somewhere. There was a breakdown in communications because of the difference in um, the, the metric system that they were using to load them. And then I think the indications on the cockpit were different than what the fuelers were using. So oh. it would be like if I told you, hey, I need 10 gallons of gas. And you loaded it up and you said, oh, there's 10 pounds of gas. Oh, okay. And then okay. to further so confuse I, it, yeah. Because, yeah, if, if my yeah. flight is putting exactly the amount yeah. of gas we need to get there, I'm not getting on that plane. <laughs> oh, God. They all do, right? Like, I mean, that's kind of... Oh, yeah. They, they just said... They oh, put yeah. the exact amount... No, no, no. Yeah. Funny okay, story so you say that, though. Because if it's windy, you're going to take more gas to get there. Right. right, but it's a, the minimum amount of slack, right? Right. But essentially. It, no, well, you carry the, the minimum extra because it costs you money to carry fuel. I'll pay that yeah. little charge. But I will tell you this. Funny story... I was flying from Madison, Wisconsin a couple of years ago as a passenger into Minneapolis. And it was horrendous weather, summertime, thunderstorms everywhere. And as we took off from Madison, I knew we'd be landing in Minneapolis at rush hour, which is the same as like rush hour traffic, you know, coming in around 5, 6 p.m. And I'm thinking to myself, God, I hope this pilot brought a lot of gas because there's terrible weather. It's rush hour. We're going to have to hold Mm -hmm. for at least an hour. So sure enough, as we're coming up to Minneapolis, he's like, well, folks, the weather's pretty bad. And there's a lot of other traffic coming in. So we're going to have to hold. I'm thinking, okay, that's what I was figuring on. I'm still thinking, I hope you brought a lot of gas. So sure enough, 20 minutes into the hold, he goes, well, that's as much gas as I brought to hold for. We're going to have to go back to Madison to get more gas. And I was so what? pissed off that this guy was so stupid. When we got to Madison, I got off the plane and I rented a car. Now it's like, you know. Yeah. Late, and I'm gonna have to drive, and I drove home because I was so mad that this guy was really? so stupid. Because I thought if he's I that stupid, I didn't take less choice. Did not take less gas to just make yeah. another lap and go down. Yeah, and I thought if he's that dumb, you know, to not bring enough fuel in this scenario of weather at rush hour at night, then I'm not getting back on the. Plane. I didn't know that the pilots had like got to make that choice. Oh yeah, yeah, all. no, no, the captain is fully. It's fully his decision. No. They've got guidance from the airline. They've got dispatchers. And dispatchers mm-hmm. send them, like, here's your flight plan. Mm-hmm. Here's where we think you should go. Here's where the turbulence we're thinking, blah, blah, blah. Here's a suggestion, all that stuff. But the pilot makes the last decision. On, okay. Yeah. How I feel like to fly all the way here and then say. But they can't take that risk. We don't have control. enough gas. We're going to fly 
all yeah. the way back. Can't like the people be like, "Hey, who has the least amount of gas out of all the people?" No, holding? you can do that. Yeah, you can. You, you get to land. You can declare a thing called minimum fuel, mm-hmm. and if you declare minimum fuel, then a controller might take pity on you. But you're not declaring an emergency, so they might just say, "Yeah, that's good to know." Really? <laughs> you're running out of gas. Okay, that's good yo, to know. If you don't let us land. Ten minutes, I'm we're all dying. Here no, we're, yeah, we're then, coming right. the tower. Then you declare yeah, an emergency. Right. So yeah, it's very formal. I mean, when you're flying, you have to say these words if it's an emergency. You must say we are declaring an emergency, or you must say mayday. If you say mayday or we are declaring an emergency, then you can do whatever you want. You do whatever uh, you want. Okay. You I go to the say, head of the class. I would say mayday yeah. on the initial approach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mayday. <laughs> mayday. Mayday. You know That's that just your call nickname? sign. Mayday. That's your call sign. This hey, uh, is mayday 2078. Mayday, mayday, mayday. We're here. <laughs> How about <laughs> How about your relationships and reputation with the air traffic controllers? Like, is that a thing oh, at all? Like, yes, yes, yes. Oh, my God, so funny. I literally just was dreaming about this last night. This is so strange. I just told a friend today on the phone. I just had a dream. That's so strange you would bring this up. That's really psychic. Um, great question. Yeah. Well, Chicago O'Hare, uh, as most people know, was the busiest airport. Yeah. In the world. Yeah. And I don't know if it still is. It sometimes goes back and forth with Atlanta or other mm-hmm. airports. But so Chicago here, busiest airport in the world. Um, I used to fly in and out of there. And very busy airport. And if you can't get the right um, uh, clearance from the tower, you can end up having to wait like an extra half hour. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if you're going to taxi out, and that airport goes on for miles. It's so much bigger than, than a lot of airports. If you can't get the takeoff that you want, you might end up taxing for a half hour or waiting forever, you know, in line, that sort of thing. So there was this controller that used to just start to talk to me on the air there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll just call him Butch. That was not his name, but we'll call him Butch. Yeah. A similar name. And Butch just somehow, because there weren't very many female pilots, started to be real friendly to me. And so he'd always say like, uh, yeah, Sun Country, 671 now. You can take off from the T1 intersection. And T1 intersection is like a shortcut to get out of there, uh-huh. to get to the runway uh-huh. and take off. And so other airplanes would call. And then he'd say, oh, no, 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 no. Not you. Just Sun Country. Like he would say stuff like that. Really? And so we kind of got used to it. Mm-hmm. So then, work. and okay, so, you, you know, we kind of got this relationship going, this dynamic, and then we started talking about, sometimes he'd switch over and do ground control so we could talk, because you can be a lot looser on mm-hmm. ground control than on the tower, you know? Okay. And uh, so we started talking about ground control, and then one day he's like, you know, I want to meet you, I want to meet you. So he came That's to just the, a frequency then? Like yeah. the ground control, the, okay. Yeah, so everybody yeah. talks on one frequency on the ground. The so he comes over, and uh, we end up meeting after one flight, and I get to know him. And we go to lunch and stuff, and he's very good looking. And I'm single. I'm in my 20s. He's probably like early 30s, and uh, but he's married. And I'm like, oh, damn, what a disappointment. You know, I'm like, well, it's really great to meet you, Butch. And I'm like, if you ever get divorced, mm-hmm. call me. Keep my number. Call me. I think you're amazing. Duh. So he still really treats me good every time we come in there. And then he starts treating other people at my airline better. And, he, and so he'll say stuff like uh, – Say like, hey, is Kathleen on the flight? They'll say no, and then he'd always say, well, tell her brother Butch said hello. Tell her brother Butch said to say hi. Tell her brother Butch, and and he'd always give them preferential treatment too. And all the times I'd hear, hey, yeah, I heard your brother the other day. I'm like, hey, first of all, it's not my brother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And you know, and so finally, a couple years later, 
I'm uh, down in the cities. I'm visiting. I'm not living here then, but I'm visiting here. And I'm at my brother's. It's like the day before Christmas. And he wakes me up and he goes, hey, I got a call for you. Some guy named Butch. <laughs> and I get on the phone and Butch says, basically, I'm getting divorced. <laughs> and you How said to call you. Well, I'm thinking not long, you know, maybe two you know, maybe two years, not that's long. Still two years. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah not time. long. Yeah, yeah. You and, made an uh, impression. Yeah, and so, um, and I'm like, well, I live in Minnesota, so you know, he came up to Minnesota, you know, quite a few times, and, and I got, <laughs> to, got to know him, but uh, it wasn't meant to be. It was not meant to be. He was a great guy, and uh, um, he was a great guy. I didn't think that, uh, you know, it was it wasn't a match. He was a great guy, but it was just so yeah. funny that we literally met. Over the right. air at the world's busiest airport, but it gets a little bit better because then he allowed me to come over to the tower one day. Now again, world's busiest airport, lots yes. of rules. FA, breathing down your neck. And he said, "Go ahead and plug in." And plug in means you plug in to the radio system, and you're up in the tower. And he goes, "Hey, you want to work departure?" No departures. In other words, you're the guy who says, "This go, is you can't. Wow. yeah, this is Chicago yeah. Tower and United Airlines 527. You are cleared for takeoff runway nine or left. You know, climb and maintain four thousand feet. Turn left after heading you know to two seven zero. Blah blah blah." He and said, you knew all the verbiage. I know all that from being a pilot. For, yeah, yeah for All he has to do is tell me the altitude and the heading. The altitude mm -hmm. and the heading. And so he says, you want to plug it? He goes, do a few flights. Now, the whole time I'm doing a few flights, there's this big black guy standing in the corner with his arms crossed, just <laughs> glaring at me. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, that's got to be his boss. But he's not stopping this. Okay. And he's allowing me to work departure what they call phantom out. So what you're you're giving each airplane a different heading so they don't collide. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm working departure at Chicago here. It was fantastic. Wow. And so when we left, we're going down the stairs. There's this really long, long, windy staircase to get down, you know, from the tower. It's a spiral staircase. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, who was that guy that was giving me the evil eye? Oh, that's my boss. And I'm like, are you going to be in trouble? And I love this. He said, no. I said, what do you mean? You just let me work departure at Chicago here. And he said, yeah, but. He goes, he can't fire me. He goes, because I'm a I'm O'Hara controller, and they're the best of the best. So they're the top gun. Right. You can't yeah. just bring anybody in from, you know, from any other yeah. airport that can work that rapid-fire yeah. machine gun like they can at O'Hara. So he said, I'm golden. He goes, they're not going to fire me. I'm What's like, it, that's wow. just yeah, I like so him what already. Is it's right for people can to we have get him a on the fear show? Of flying because apparently they just let anybody go into the control that's tower right. and just yeah. tell planes. No, I will tell you this: after nine eleven, something like that never happened. Everything's right. so deadly serious now. Yeah, know, but yeah. Can you do a loop de loop on a commercial airplane? <laughs> Uh, no, you can roll one. No, not okay. again, not legally, uh -huh. and don't recommend it. It's not of legal, course. but um. There are videos of many large airliners being rolled, you know, either out of the factory or whatever. But yeah, if what? you do it right, yeah, if you do it right, you can do and not pull enough G's. You can you could safely roll one of those. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it. Of course. But now loop. Um, most people would pull three and a half or four G's in a loop, which would be more than the airplane could take. So oh, you would really? not want to loop it. Yeah. What would uh, like? What would break essentially? Uh, well, in a situation like that, your greatest concern would be losing part of the tail. That would be, oh, okay. yeah, losing the tail. No, didn't the kid who, who, who stole the plane in Seattle. Oh, yeah. Whatever, did, the suicidal. Didn't he do? 
Or Horizon Airlines. Yeah. Horizon Airlines. That's what it was. Yeah, Horizon. in Seattle. Yeah. And a G. Is that? He took a. Like, uh, what is it like when you said like pull three G's? That's what like three times force of gravity. Like yeah, three, yeah, yeah, yeah. Three times. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he did a roll. I don't know if he did a loop or not. I don't. He might have. I'll have I to. Swear, have to I swear. I thought he did a loop, if but you yeah. Can. No, oh, I love it. Guys, this was so much fun. Oh, we had a blast. Yeah, this was, this was, was so much fun. All right, everybody. That was the episode. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that you guys liked it as much as I did. Please, uh, we always love any help sharing it around. It is gold to us.